everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to hour number one of the Love Fest. I always call it the Love Fest. Don't know that we're always feeling love this early in the morning. But nonetheless, we're starting the day. Remember on the show, we try to give you the ideas, the tools you need to make your life a great life. The one that uh, you need to somehow piece together, carve together, and today there will be no exception to the rule there. We're going to give you the tools coming up a little bit later today. Uh, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, will be joining us. Joe Cannon, a great friend of the show. He's going to be giving us some insight a little bit later also. Going to talk about how you can actually make more time for your life, for your exercise. And also, we're going to talk about the lotto we got a lot going on. Welcome to the program. Welcome, by the way, we're looking for James. James Birdsall, if you're out there. We we have a really strong belief that uh, Daylight Savings Time never really quite made it into your phone. <laughs> I'm loving it. There's, anyway. always, there's always one person you can find that doesn't quite <laughs> get the, one. the Daylight Savings yeah. situation. I wouldn't have gotten it except my phone got it for me. Right. A lot of the phones just update themselves. You have to think about it. Didn't even think about it. It was great. Hey, you know what? Um, Have you ever listened? uh, So I have about a 30-minute commute. Yours is a lot longer. It's about 40. It's not that much longer. Wow, you speed. It's not speeding. It's called they raised the speed limits about four months ago or three months ago. There's a certain road. There's a part of the freeway right by my house that they started new construction on. Yes. That is crazy town. When I have I have driven that road for 45 years the same way, and now they're asking me to change, like four different times in a one-mile area, and not good. Is this the highway before the freeway? This is the this is where they they're moving they're widening a road they're widening the freeway at the point of the mountain. Okay, and it's not good. I mean, it's probably going to be great someday. Yeah, at someday. In about five years, it'll be awesome. Right now, it's four lanes with people going faster than they should, trying to go drive the old way we used to drive it, which, you know. And then they repaint the, the uh-huh. lanes so they swerve. Yeah. And, yeah, I took that at 70 this Honestly, morning. That was scary. I, and especially with the daylight savings move, I'm not sure I'm, I'm getting enough sleep anymore. So I'm taking those that lane change, and I'm thinking, I am intoxicated. Over the weekend, I found an interesting story. What? Christian Science Monitor. Has a uh, a story about a scientist warning the public about microsleeps. What? Which are, as it says, are tiny lapses in attention that can create problems at work and accidents on the road. Holy so cow! You're not falling asleep. You're just sort of zoning out for a second. That is my. That's my life. My and, life is a microsleep. And they're sleep. brought on because of a lack of sleep. You're just a little bit tired, a little bit off. Yeah, yeah. You just lose attention for a second. Just a and second. When you're flying down the freeway, that could be dangerous. The microsleeps apparently account for extra car crashes and workplace injuries that follow our lost hour each March. Researchers yeah. say small changes in the amount of sleep that people can get have major consequences. 
Uh, it's likely the effects are due to sleep loss rather than a nonspecific di- disruption in circadian rhythms. Wow. So okay. it's not like you're not getting a deep enough sleep. It's just not enough. You're just, yeah, you need a little bit more. And they base this off the idea that when you get your additional hour of sleep in the fall, it seems to decrease the number of accidents. Interesting. So right now what you're saying, this is not a good time to be driving. Right. Or trying something new or... Using heavy machinery. Or, as I did this morning, notice a car about, I don't know, he's probably about 500 yards ahead of me, make a quick shift of lanes. Oh, yeah. And I went, huh? And as you drive up, like, oh, well, and you have to turn real quick because uh-huh. of that shift they was, have. Was that, a, was that a black Honda that you saw, a black Accord? No. Well, everything's black at that, at that hour of the morning. That's true. We, we defined that last time. Oh, dark 30. Uh, oh, dark 30. But that may have been me that made that quick lane change. Okay. Well, did I almost hit a car? Or did I almost hit a barrier? Because I did both. It's hard to tell with how, I mean, because uh, people are not used to it yet. So Microsleeps. Microsleeps. Watch that today as you're commuting. It's good. Stay focused. Also over the weekend, you brought this up. We have senators who apparently don't use email. Oh, my heavens. Or at least admit to it on national TV. Okay, so that's the question. What's a bigger deal? Hillary Clinton not uh, using the right email accounts that are protected, or what's the news story? Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Senator. Senator Lindsey Graham. Let's see. South Carolina? Is he south or north? I'm going south. South Carolina. Okay. I actually wrote it down just so I got that correct. Uh, he told CBS's Face the Nation that uh, they asked him about the uh, the Hillary Clinton situation. How do you avoid this sort of a situation with email? And he said, hey, you could have every email I've ever sent because I don't use email. He was so proud of that. And, and he put that up as this is the way to fix the problem. Just don't use email. Well, oh. then you look into it further. He, he's a member of the Senate Subcommittee on Privacy, Technology, and the Law. <laughs> Well, so, privacy he's got down. So he's sitting there on this committee making decisions based on you know how we're all going to be dealing with these sorts of things, and he doesn't use them himself. So he's he's the legislator that will create the laws for your email and internet. Yes. And yet, the man never does and never has sent an email. I guess that's what happens when you have people that will send your emails. See, that's why I like people. People, my people will send you an email. That's what I'm going to start doing. And that's doing. probably what it comes down to is Senator Graham tells his staff they send it. But you email. made a really interesting point in the hallway while we were running back and forth. Your mom sends emails. All the time. And your mom? 70. What? 60. Just 60-ish, Let's 70-ish. Let's not even give her yeah. age. She doesn't deserve that. No. <laughs> my mom, I'll, I'll give you my mom's age. I don't know. 75. My mom does email. My mom sends me my mom's on every email no. list and sends and forwards yes. every email she's ever received. Now granted he's oh going to knock over the drink there. Careful. Granted he's doing it it sounds like to avoid these sort of security issues. Well again, I think they're fine if as long as you just use the government email. Government email. Right. And then it creates transparency. Now we know what you're thinking cuz you've emailed it. But he's, I don't know, he's, he's also the guy, his Twitter handle is Gramblog, at Gramblog. <laughs> so he may think that Twitter's a blog, which mm-hmm. it's not really. Well, do you want to bet that's not, he's never tweeted in his life either? No, because if you look on his, on his site, there's all these pictures of him doing things. Yeah, he's working. Yeah, it's not like he's taking a, self, a selfie or self-portrait. Yeah. He's working, and so he's not using the Twitter. That's crazy. Did you he hear has about, a staff. Did you hear about those people in the Coliseum? You yes, know? I have that here somewhere. 
That yeah, is... right here. They're from California, a, a, 24, a 25 and a 21-year-old females. California girls. California girls on vacation in Rome. Yeah. Why not, I don't know, scratch our initials into the Roman Coliseum? I mean, come on. You want to leave something. And take a selfie with it. So there's evidence. <laughs> that is the dumbest thing. <laughs> Hey, oh, 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 oh. Despite, let's, let's get a picture. Let's get a picture Despite of the fact there were signs in English and Italian all around the Coliseum yeah. saying, don't do this. Do not etch your name. Their, their, their uh, quote after being arrested was, we weren't, sure, we weren't aware this was a thing. This wasn't what? a problem. We're what? Just, it's a historical landmark, and we're defacing it. It's fine. Uh, it's fine. So. You guys are so controlling. <laughs> get off my back. $25,000. Last person that did this. $25,000 fine. Boy, you thought your trip to Cancun was expensive. Wait till you get your ticket for the Roman trip. Unbelievable. Hey, so, there's a rule. Let's make a rule. A rule. Don't etch your name into a world landmark. Say world landmark because we all own the Coliseum. It's all of ours? It's our history. Okay. Unbelievable. Use that as your rule of thumb. Yep. Historical landmark, don't deface it. According to the Matt Townsend Show, it's, a, it's, it's an historical landmark. World. Back to the email story. Yeah. He was on Meet the Press, Lindsey Graham. Yeah, he dropped that bomb. There. That's where he dropped that bomb. Ted Gowdy, Republican representative. I love him. Who Is had, it Ted or Trey Gowdy? Trey, excuse me. Trey Gowdy. Yeah. Heads the Benghazi Investigation <laughs> Committee. Bad to the bone. He was this on, is pure Texas. He right? was on yeah. CBS Face yeah. the Nation, and he says there is a huge gap in emails the day after the Benghazi attack from Hillary. Weird. It's because she was on hers. So Interesting. And he says it's interesting because there's all these pictures of her in Libya on her phone. So yeah. she's doing something. Yeah. Unless those were all just Her surfing the web or playing 1010. Or- oh, 1010. That's good living. Good living. Okay. Well, um, that's good. Good stuff. It's Monday morning, folks. Time to start using your email. Up next, Joe Cannon, our insider, our Washington insider, is going to be joining us. We're going to just pick his brain on all things Washington, D.C. We're going to find out a bunch of stuff. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. As uh, we like to do on Mondays, it's it's just a nice little opportunity to kind of do a roundup from the political world, all the talking heads, all the different news shows that were on over the weekend. So we like to bring in our insider from Washington. He's actually from Utah, but he's very well networked into the... Uh, to the Washington scene. Joe Cannon is joining us live in the studio. And he is the chairman, was actually many moons ago, man, a long time ago, was once the chairman of the Utah Republican Party. He's also the CEO right now of Fuel Freedom Foundation. He was the editor of the Deseret Morning News and uh, has also served as an assistant administrator for the U.S. EPA from 83 to 85. He's also run for office before 
but more importantly, historian, just a great guy. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Matt. You never like any of the titles I give Right, right. But really, you've done it all. You've touched them all. Yeah. (laughs) You hate it. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) Joe does not like any accolades. But Joe, fill us in. Um, It's starting to happen. Now everyone's kind of ganging up on Hillary Clinton over the emails. But just give us context for that. Does that... Why is why is everybody so upset about a candidate's emailing? It's I've never heard emails making so much news except for the last like, five six right. years. I mean, one of the early things that uh, Jeb Bush did was yeah. to release Get all those of his emails. emails. Out. So I don't. I, so there must be something there. I, I think in uh, Secretary Clinton's case, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. I think that there's a. There's something more at work here. One is that she was a public official at the time, yeah. and she conducted all of her official business on a private email that had a server in her home. Yeah. Uh, that is pretty extraordinary. I don't know anyone else. I mean, you're else Secretary who's... of State. I mean, yeah. it's a big job. Well, but also I think the law requires that you conduct your public business in, public. in the public. Your emails as as a secretary of state or as a congressman or as a state legislator here in Utah. Right. Any of those things, they're public. They're a matter of public record. So what you have here is a, a kind of a, a scheme to avoid any disclosure of those. Now, mm-hmm. maybe it was their idea to turn over the ones that they, i.e. Secretary Clinton and her staff, deemed to be relevant. But you know, nobody empowered them to do that. Right. So uh, you, you've just got an odd situation where where someone's literally not just trying to keep their private emails. It's kind of, it's understandable. You're you're a public official, oh, yeah. but you know what? You're going to send an email to your husband or your wife, and you know that that's, that's private, personal. right? And you know that probably shouldn't be disclosed. Well, didn't Mitt Romney? Mitt Romney, when he left his office as governor, didn't they just basically get rid of all their computers? You know, I don't know that. I I, 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 I had heard that that, somewhere that they just they they pretty much just cleaned them all off. But there is a natural inclination for everyone to to not want people to know their business. Well, you're getting ready. You give that away. You give that option up when you become a public official. So really, it's and, and they're even saying there's not there's not a lot. Illegal. It's just kind of against the rules. It's yeah. just against the rules. May or may not be illegal. It, it depends. I mean, there are statutes that oh. govern this, and there are statutes that govern what you can do with emails, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and other things. For example, if a uh, if you're if you're a subject of an investigation or mm-hmm. a subject subject matter is the subject of an investigation, and a uh, a lawyer, the the Department of Justice, uh, a congressional investigating committee, they subpoena all the relevant mm. emails. Well, uh, if if they're they aren't there, yeah, they can't be subpoenaed. Well, this is true in in corporate America as well, right? I mean, I remember companies when I worked with big corporations. They're like, save your emails. Remember, there's certain rules. If we For, get sued, we need to see yeah, everything. Certainly, in the private sector, and. and it, it applies with greater force to uh, the the government. They are, they have a duty to do their business mm. in the public. There's a right. whole system around that. The Freedom of Information Act. The the whole idea of doing of transparency yeah. and, and being able to have the public know what's being done on their behalf and with their tax dollars. But you're right. In in, in private industry, of course, you you uh, all 
big companies and maybe most companies in general have uh, have record retention policies. Did you hear uh, what Lindsey Graham said? Um, I think it was on Meet the Press. Basically, that he, he he says you can have all the emails I've ever sent. I've never sent one. So here's a senator, sitting senator that is in charge of you know technology and other kind of legislation, and yet has never sent an email. Yeah, that's what, what's, what's your gut telling you? Well, he may never have sent an email. I mean, that, it could be he's uh, kind of old enough to be sort of pre-email, and yeah. maybe he decided that the keep it. Yeah, maybe that's it. You keep everybody else sending your emails. Yeah, so maybe he has a staff person. However, even all those staff emails are still public. Yeah. So many, many people in Washington who work for the government actually have. They're BlackBerry, yeah, and then oh, yeah. they have another uh, another uh, smartphone. Well, that was even a big deal when President Obama started, right? Because he wanted to have a BlackBerry. He wanted to have a personal device that he could access, and yet right. all of that was still part of this records law. Right, right. What What are you thinking as uh, – I have a I, – and I had to ask you. What? There's 15 candidates in the GOP. There's pretty much Hillary Clinton, pretty much in the Democratic yeah. Party. Is is this the way we're supposed to do this? I mean, is, who has an advantage? A big kind of primary runoff where we kind of beat each other up, everyone's bloodied, or where you just stand alone, you don't have to run against anyone. What's your what's your take on that? Well, you know, obviously for the candidate who doesn't have a primary, there are many benefits to that person individually. So yeah. Senator Clinton, for example, Secretary Mrs. Clinton, yeah. hasn't had to declare anything. She hasn't had to meet federal election commission requirements. She can just do what she's doing. And she's, the, yeah. she's the candidate. However, this recent flap is one of the things that shows you why it's good to have some contest uh, in in a, in a party in a nomination process because you know it illuminates weaknesses that you can you can uh, fortify yourself against in the final or they come out early and then they lose their sting later on. Yeah. Um, but and for the public in general, it's it's better to have have. Uh, this fleshing out of ideas in debates and discussions and and that sort of thing. On the other hand, you know, fifteen candidates, twelve candidates, nine X, a lot of candidates can draw the primary out. It can it can uh, uh, bleed the yeah. uh, p- potential uh, victor as uh, well as bleed him of money, him yeah. or her of money. So. I mean, there are advantages both ways, but it turns out it doesn't matter very much. The way it is in the Democrat Party right now, they've got one candidate. Although uh, a ton of you know stories in the last uh, several days, mm-hmm. including today, are are uh, looking at oh maybe we maybe, maybe we a have contest a <laughs> might help out here. That's interesting because um, as you look at it, it just seems like competition helps. But then in I look at last well I looked at Mitt Romney's run needed. He, he took a beating, it seemed like, in the primaries, oh, yeah, yeah, and he had to position himself in yeah. a way that didn't work so well in the general election. Yeah, everyone was against him because he was the front runner. Now, there's not a particular front runner right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess maybe you'd say that uh, uh, Jeb Bush Jeb, is maybe. Fashioning, fashioning himself as the front runner, and a, a lot of people are going after him, but it's not the same as it was four years ago in the, on the Republican side. Are you as excited about this go around? I mean, you're a, you're a, you you love getting in on this. Is this is this an interesting fight yet? Could could be that I'm getting 
older <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit weary of the yeah. whole thing, honestly. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't think on either side, I guess I thought on the Democrat side it was all gelled in and, yeah, and, and ready to go, that there may be you know, some movement on that side. On the Republican side, uh, I, I'm just waiting to see who, if anyone, actually emerges early on and yeah. how that goes. I mean, I, I think I said last time I was here, my, uh, I want to see John Kasich get in the yeah, race. Uh, I do you know, he's a governor, a congressman. Uh, uh, a really good guy. I think he connects with people. Could pull like Ohio, see, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. So, but he's you know you know he's not even mentioned. Well, it's of the almost polls. like yeah, it's almost like stay out of it for yeah. now. Just cause let the let the dust settle a little bit, and then maybe get in later. Could be. I mean, you know, there's plenty of time for this to. This is going to heat up. Yeah. Let's take a break. We're talking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider here on the Matt Townsend Show. When we come back, I want to ask him, um, he, he said he's a little weary. A lot of people are saying they're Clinton weary, they're Bush weary. I want to I want to know about dynasties. I want to, Joe's going to teach us about, Is it, are, do we need a dynasty here? I mean, isn't that why we fought for our independence? We, we don't need kings, do we? Queens. Come on. We'll take a break. When we come back, more with Joe Cannon right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. He just, you know, he's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, uh, fighting for, you know, the rights for Americans to have more choices in fuel. Natural gas is one of the areas that I know that he's very excited about. And when we get into this uh for somebody to have somebody that has been so involved in politics, I mean, just not not that you're special, Joe. Let's get that clear. Thank you. Yeah, good. good. You don't. You're, I mean, you're not. But you. But again, you've served in um, a presidential uh, administration with President Reagan. Mm-hmm. You worked in the EPA, so you kind of know that side of it. You you you've run for office. You've been. You, you've done a lot. So. What do you think? It, it seems like a lot of people are just a little t- worn out, weary. Maybe it's just too early, but weary of a Clinton-Bush, you know, dynasty. Yeah. Well, um, it's a, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure. It, I guess it, on the face of it, it looks like a, a dynasty. But another thing that could account for it is uh, it's very hard to overstate the importance of name identification it, when huh? you're running for office at any level yeah. you know for the for the mayor of a small town to the president of the United States and so one thing both Jeb Bush and uh, Hillary Clinton have is big time name ID uh, that they've gotten by virtue of their connection yeah. uh, either you know uh, Hillary Clinton being married to the 
President Clinton and Jeb Bush being the son and brother of two presidents. But in their own rights, they've also done things. Right. I mean, uh, Hillary Clinton has been Secretary of State. She's been a U.S. Senator uh, trying to sort of, you know, demonstrate that it's not just that she has a, a famous right. name. And same with, you know, Jeb Bush was governor of Florida. So in a way, uh, they, they've each tried to burnish their credentials mm-hmm. in addition to the name. But it's very hard to overstate, like I said, the, well, that's the, money, the benefit of name ID. Yeah, to, you, to get that yeah. level of name yeah. ID, it would take a billion dollars. And in, and it's good to even even with that, it might take that's a billion right. dollars. But it uh, um you know, in, in, in each of the cases, they start out with, with a head start. And, and in each of their constituencies, the name that they're connected with is pretty popular. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, I guess in a way you could say it's a dynastic thing, but it's also... It's just power. It's just you, power. You've got a good. You've got a big head start when you when you start yeah. out with. I mean, the, I guess that's name, that's you know? Apple, right? I mean, Apple's got a good name. Yeah. So you go with the name. Um, talk about is this is it is it healthy for our country? I mean, I guess the option of it is: Are we getting the best people just because they're in the best name or yeah, the best yeah. position? Well, I mean, Americans have, as you pointed out in your intro, kind of kind of this pretty natural inclination against dynastic mm-hmm, totally. enterprises. I mean, the, the fact is, we did fight for independence from from a hereditary uh, monarchs. So, um, you know, it, the other thing that we believe in the country, though, is you. You choose your leaders, yeah. and and if people choose to have a a Bush Clinton ticket, it it will be that way. For what it's worth, I think there's a pretty high likelihood that that uh, Hillary Clinton is going to be there, the Democrat nominee. I am skeptical that Jeb Bush will make it all the way through. Are you? Yeah, yeah. It's not out of any. I I I actually really like him and he's where I am on lots mm-hmm. and lots of uh, issues and I think he'd be a terrific candidate and a terrific president. And he seems like on immigration some of the issues that yeah. are going to come front and center it seems like right. he's and a in little the, more in the, in the early states we have kind of a small sets of population yeah. uh, making these decisions you know hard to see how he makes it through all that. Do you think it seems like, and you hear it all the time, that the Democrats might be better set up with the bigger cities, the bigger numbers, the bigger um, – just a bigger hold uh, maybe on on the count. What are they – on the um, electoral, electoral college. college. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it seems like maybe in the end it's hard to beat them without having a governor like Kasich from Ohio or – um, Governor Bush from Florida. How do you how do you win if you're not going to win the big states? Well, it's true that uh, all but about ten or twelve states are pretty much locked in right. before any campaigning even starts, and then you've got some pretty big and and not not necessarily big states that 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 could make a difference. Nevada could have made a difference, for example. Yeah. Um, so you you look at those states, and it's it's pretty hard. Uh, it's it's hard for a Republican to, to see how a Republican wins without taking some combination of uh, Ohio, Florida, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. North Carolina. Some combination of those states uh, have to go Republican. And uh, in each case, in, in the case of um, Pennsylvania, they elected a Democratic governor, but they elected a, a Republican state legislature. More more congressmen from Pennsylvania are Republican than Democrat. Right, but but it's a you have a Democrat governor. So um, 
as a state like that is uh, can turn out to be pretty crucial. Yeah. So and and that's why a lot of the focus on who gets the nomination or who would be who which candidate would appeal the most in those in those in particular those states. Um, I wanted to ask you about Supreme Court because that seems uh, in a really interesting. I mean, it's not seemingly supposed to be political, but they're all political appointments, right? And then um, is it, it again? Just again, health care bill. Coming down could be a very interesting vote coming up, um, plus uh, gay marriage votes, all of these votes that have been coming. What's your take on it? Is, it? is this a more political Supreme Court than normal? I, I, I guess I wouldn't characterize it that way. I would, just as a preface, I would say that uh, who gets to appoint justices to the Supreme Court is the single most important thing people ought to be asking themselves when they go into the ballot box. For a president, so because, to vote because for a president. you are going to get, we, we are a divided country, uh, uh, politically, philosophically, ideologically. And, uh, you know, presidents, of, Democrat presidents are going to appoint uh, judges, justices, and judges, by the way. It's not just the Supreme Court. It's a, there are t- two layers of courts below that that are very important. Uh, going to appoint judges and justices that reflect their point of view. That's why the there these uh, fights for Senate confirmation are so yeah. so bitter. So I think what you get is you you get a, a Supreme Court that reflects the history of who's been president of the United That's States in the last yeah. few years, and it is pretty divided. Uh, it's very hard to call how the Affordable Care Act is going to come out. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say. It's just political. I mean, if you read the decisions, mm-hmm. they, they're, uh, as it happens, I read the briefs in that uh, in that case, just to, just to just for of, fun. Well, as a <laughs> yeah. matter of fact, just for fun because you're curious. Uh, and uh, you know, there there's there are strong arguments on both sides, right. and whoever wins that is going to write it a, a Supreme Court opinion that's not going to sound political at all. It's going to lay out, okay, we decided this for hmm. this reason, that reason, and that reason. Do you sense that uh, the Supreme Court now seems to be taking priority, precedence, in a way that maybe if we had a stronger legislature working yeah. together or a, and a stronger legislature that could push on a president or vice versa, a president that could push on the legislature more effectively, we wouldn't be so dependent on judiciary you know, yeah. decisions. Yeah, I, I'm a. Uh, I think the founders would be astonished if they uh, had a Rip Van Winkle experience and came alive today and, yeah. and saw the power that the Supreme Court has. It was it never envisioned that it would have this power. And so that's just a fact. But why does it have this power? Because Congress has delegated so much of its power to executive agencies mm-hmm. and basically saying we'll let the courts decide and that constitutional separation of powers imbalance needs to be addressed uh you've gotten a much stronger executive and this is this is nonpartisan. i mean you could you could go to richard nixon forward most executives have sought to accrete power to themselves and then we've given a lot of power to the to judges and i think congress needs to reassert itself as the third branch of government right. that actually speaks for all the people is um, is there a is there um a dearth of politicians i mean well maybe that's uh, a dearth of statesmen statesmen yeah, yeah. uh well 
in every age, everyone likes to say that look look back, go back to, to, the, to the great yeah. ones. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I do think that the country is more polarized today, and you can see that in all manner of uh, public opinion surveys. So the country's polarized, and and our electoral politics reflect that polarization. Hmm. And so you've got a house that's Republican, highly polarized against a, a president who's a Democrat, and they're polarized on that side. So, yeah, um, and it's going to be really interesting the next few years. I, I know I asked you this last time you were here, but you're a, you're a news editor of a major you know newspaper in the in the Intermountain area, anyway. Um, do you sense are we more polarized because the people are more polarized? And the media just reports it strongly, or are we more polarized because the media are more polarized? Uh, you know, we have yeah. very clear cable channels that, you know, fight their views, and and we have a lot of uh, radio and syndicated radio. So I don't generally think that the media creates the news as much as some people think. Yeah. I do think they generally report the news. In this in this particular case, you can look at survey after survey after survey. And, and really, just limit yourself to kind of the big national surveys like Gallup or like the Pew mm-hmm. uh, Center uh, surveys that, that go into depth on a lot of things. And I think what you find is we are very polarized as a country. Yeah, uh, I don't know that it's fifty-fifty, but I know that it's probably polarized. close. Yeah. Uh, um, so I don't think that I don't think this is a creation of the media. Dying. I think I think undergirding there there are many issues that it, it seems like they're more black and white issues today than yeah. there used to be. Yeah, and so it's hard to say what's the middle position, for example, on abortion. What's the middle position there? Well, it's, right. you know, for if you're no matter what side you believe on that. There's not much of a middle ground. Yeah. Uh, if you believe that the role of government is to tax and uh, spend money to make things better for people, uh, or you believe that it's the individual responsibility to do that, that's a that that issue is getting more and more polarized. The role of government, hmm. I think. Well, and it's interesting, I guess. Yeah. And then the more we grow government. That's, I guess, the fear. The stronger that argument becomes, as more and more people are using it. Let's do this. I want you. Can you stick around? Sure, sure. We, well, let's have you back next break. After this break, we're going to go back with Joe and talk about. I want to hear his take on BB Benjamin Netanyahu's speech when when a, a sitting leader of Israel comes in, kind of even around around the the back of the president, and gets such a welcome. I want to hear what his insight is on that. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're doing a little uh, political wrap-up, trying to understand what's going on back in Washington, D.C. Our political insider, Joe Cannon, is with us. Joe uh, currently is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Uh, Joe, what's the website for that? Uh, Fuelfreedom.org. Fuelfreedom.org. But uh, he joins us, and we always like to pick his brain and just see kind of what's going on. He's, He's in the know. I mean, he doesn't want 
has to say that. He's in the know. Joe, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to pretend like I'm in the know for your, for know. your listeners. Here. You are more than we are. Uh, what did you think about BB and the BB and Obama? So, just to be clear, yeah. I'm, I'm a very pro-Israel guy and yeah. very pro-Obama or pro-Netanyahu uh, yeah. guy, and, and uh, I think it was a real act of courage for him to come. Uh, uh, I, I think the administration tried to turn it into a yeah. protocol thing. The simple fact is, uh, APAC, which is the the U.S. Uh, Jewish lobbying arm has its annual meeting. Netanyahu was coming to that anyway, yeah. and often does. Uh, and so the speaker invited him. Uh, it would have been fruitless to go through channels because it's very well known. I don't think I'm revealing any secret right. that there's no love lost between, between President Obama and Prime Minister Netanyahu. What's so, that about? I don't Do you know? know. I cannot plumb yeah. the depths of it. Uh, uh, I, I don't know, but there's no question that there's animosity. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look right after Netanyahu's speech, President Obama, who makes a big public statement, oh, I didn't even listen to the speech. Yeah. Oh, but I read a transcript, and there's nothing new here. <laughs> right. You know, it was just a real <laughs> – And he was down. in a really important meeting yeah. over the on the Ukraine. Yeah, right. it, was, it was a really, you know, an attempt to put down the speech mm-hmm. immediately. But I thought the speech was electric. It was galvanizing. As a, again, I'm a huge fan of right. Netanyahu. I think, contrary to what the, some of the spin doctors in Washington were saying, that he did this to help himself politically. I think it actually hurt him politically. Did it at back, home. back home? Yeah, the fact of his coming. Now, every it turns out every time President Obama went kind of bombs away on, on Netanyahu, that helped his uh, yeah keep it that, up keep that it helped up. his poll numbers. But the fact of his coming right before the election, I think was not helpful. We'll mm-hmm. see in the end how yeah. w- what actually happens. But uh, uh, and I think for him to come over a highlighted, uh, it's an overused term, but the existential threat to Israel yeah. uh, if Iran has a, a nuclear bomb. And so I, 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 I think he was well motivated uh, obviously, the president is going to do whatever the president mm-hmm. does. And I think what Netanyahu and lots of other people hope is, is the Congress, and this is bipartisan in nature, that the Congress uh, has something to say about that uh, that um, treaty, that whatever whatever they're going to call the outcome of the yeah. Iran- Iranian negotiations. It's interesting um, the how – I don't know if you're hearing in the news, though, but Iran, Iran is helping support – the Iraqi military in their fight against ISIS, and they're actually taking a more dominant, out you know, outspoken role. And in a way, it's that seems interesting. And I mean, it almost now makes sense maybe why President Obama is trying to be so friendly with Iran. I don't think there's any doubt that President Obama believes that Iran is, if not an ally of ours is someone who who at least periodically we would have common interests mm-hmm. in um you know i i don't want to be judgmental about that attitude with him iran is a pretty bad actor yeah uh in general and is responsible for lots of mischief over there the fact that now other mischief is happening that is against their interest and they're responding 
doesn't necessarily mean you know the right. I mean, uh, Netanyahu made the story joke about it. You know the the famous Middle Eastern Middle Eastern phrase, "The enemy of my enemy yeah. is my friend." He said, "No, the enemy of my enemy in this case is still it's my still enemy. my enemy." <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, we might have a, a, a temporary coincidence of interests, but. Um, you know the fear of of a nuclear weapon power in Iran is uh, more than disconcerting, not and not just for Israel. Do you? We had a great guest on a couple like a week ago ta- uh, talking about just how complicated the Middle East is, and then how sometimes the United States we get involved and we mess we make a lot of people mad, and then when we should have been involved, we'd pulled out. And it's, so there's kind of this this ebb and flow that our timing is off, and yet it still is also political timing as well. Yeah. So it's is 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 it just that our politic is out of sync in a way in the Middle East that that it's just mm-hmm. never going to really work politically. You know, it's a really that's a really good question. I mean, you could ask yourself this: Our government was very largely responsible for the fall of the Shah of Iran. At right. the time, I'm I'm pretty sure everyone thought that was a good thing Great because thing. the Shah was a you know a, he may have been our ally, but he was a kind of a horrible guy in terms of human rights. Yeah. Uh, but then you have to ask yourself. Are the Iranians better off today right. under what they've right. got than what they had? So we intervene. We almost never get it right, and we definitely never get right the unintended consequences right. of our actions. It's, and that's not changing. Well, I mean, you think of the Arab Spring. So now the the young, rebellious uh, insurgency that was going on in Iran that we didn't support – now they're mad because right. that we didn't support. They overreached. They got hit on the head. Are we? Are we just? Are we too arrogant to think we sh- we should that we can fix this? Well, this is a problem that's been around a long time, yeah. and I'm not sure how susceptible it is to outside uh, help, uh, outside intrusion. I would say the one absolute consistent thing about the Middle East is we have one ally where human rights are respected. We have one ally that popularly elects their mm-hmm. their uh, government. We have one ally who is uh, consistently in favor of the United States. Uh, you know, one ally that shows the example of what uh, democracy could mean in right. the Middle East, and that's Israel. And so I think uh, that we've consistently supported Israel over the years. Sometimes against, by the way, the the advice of the officialdom in Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, virtually every one of Harry Truman's advisors uh, advised him to not recognize Israel. He knew in his own heart. He's, in fact, he thought he was Cyrus uh, uh, helping the Jews. He, and he, his, the fact that he recognized Israel like within a minute after they declared themselves a state yeah. uh, was enormously helpful. And then over the years... Uh, we've been very helpful to them and strengthening them, and I would hate to see that Go diminished. Away. Do uh, we only have about a, a minute Sorry. or so left? But talk about um, wh- one thing that always comes to mind is when President Carter could not do anything with the hostage situation. That wasn't working. We change a president. Reagan steps in, and they're released. 
instantly. So is it are they watching our politics that much? Absolutely. And that's one reason people are so nervous right now. Uh uh, in in the case of uh, President Carter, he was thought to be a weak president, uh, and no one could doubt, at least based on the rhetoric of President of Reagan, Reagan, that he was not going to be gonna a weak heads. president. Yeah, and uh, and so it's it's really important for your enemies. To, maybe it's important for them to admire you and yeah. love you and respect you. But it's way more important for them to respect yeah. the fact that, that uh, you'll back up your threats. Oh, and, and, and I guess carry a big stick and some great diplomacy. Right. Yeah, it's a, better to speak softly and carry a big stick and be diplomatic so you don't ever need the big mm-hmm. stick. It's interesting. Um, it's just so complicated. And it's so tribal, right? It's gone on for 1,500 years or whatever. The idea that we're going to you know, swoop down and... Fix it, but we've also probably need to, like you're saying, be you know show allegiance to the ones we've brought to the dance for sixty years. Yeah, I, th- I think a strong Israel is the opposite. Of, some people think, well, if Israel went away, this problem would go away. Look, Israel existed for about sixty years, and right. this problem is like it's you point out, uh, many centuries old. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. I mean, it's you know you're a busy man. Well, thanks for having me here. I, I, pre- I enjoy I love, coming I in. love picking your brain because we pretend like we know, but you really – you at least – you've read. You read. See, you go read all of this. Joe Cannon's his name. Go to uh, uh, fuelfreedom.org. Uh, that's his website, Fuel Freedom Foundation. He's trying to fight on the, the open front to, to have better fuel economy, better you know choices in, in, in how you – is that right, Joe? Choice at the pump. Choice at the pump. Joe Cannon, appreciate it. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we've got a great uh, next hour. We're going to be talking about, sure, we need to exercise. Everybody talks about how you need to go exercise. But have you ever noticed that you still don't? You still have time issues. You still have other issues for why we don't exercise. Maybe we ought to start addressing the why most people aren't exercising. Don't just chalk it up to lazy. It might just be our lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back after this break. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Get on in. I'll give you a ride. We, uh, What we'd like to do on this show is just give you the ideas, the tools. You get to decide what you're going to do with them. But, uh, you know, life isn't easy. So let us help out. <laughs> Uh, James Birdsall. I just there was just a Birdsall, uh, you know, viewing. What do we call it? A, a sighting. I just saw James. He's made it here. Um, James, uh, a victim of the time change, daylight savings time, took it right out across James's forehead. I'm betting. Spring forward got him. Spring forward got him right in the kisser. Or maybe he just didn't understand the concept. Maybe that's what it was. That was it. He thought, yeah, he didn't know you needed to change your clock. He just thought you'd automatically wake up with more spring in your step. Maybe not. 
Maybe he'll just blame his phone. Here's the deal. So I was driving today. Uh, we already talked about how I almost died because they're, they're moving my freeway. They're moving. You, you can't be moving the lines. I've, there's a drastic lane shift. Yeah. Yes. I, and I've been driving those lanes for 45 years. Well, not that long. For a long time. Uh, but here's the deal. Have you ever listened to the radio, satellite radio especially? They always give you kind of these moral ads like – are you sick of just wasting your money on another thing, another gadget? Another? Wouldn't you rather be able to speak a new language? Absolutely. I mean, that's moral. Like, yeah, that, you know, and, but in my head, what happens? So it's kind of, I call that moral advertising. Wouldn't you rather change the life of a, a boy in Uganda instead of just eating another Big Mac? Well, yeah. What happens when your mind is actually saying, no, I'm good buying things so they uh, there's a there's a company i'm not going to name names and they sell a language system where you can go learn another language and i'm thinking do i want to learn another language because you can take the language all the way to your grave yes i don't want to be illiterate in two languages there's a big kind of buy-in to learning a whole other language i've done it time effort Uh uh-huh yeah how proficient do you want to be? Are I'd you kind dabbling of, in this? So when they're asking the questions, do you feel like you're wasting your money on just buying more things? In my mind, I'm like, yeah, but I'm good with that right now. That's where I want to be. <laughs> Can I just not get a few more things? Don't make me feel guilty about buying stuff. Wouldn't you rather be able to speak another language? No, I do. I already do. And and if you speak, if you count Latin, a dead language, I'm trilingual. I'm Tri- illiterate in all three. Trilingual. Huh? Trilingual. All right. Look it up. Uh, we just had a sighting. Uh, I'd like to interview our next guest, James Mortimer Birdsall. Hello, James. Top of the morning to you. Hi. How's it going? Hey, where have you been? Hour number two of the show. Uh, we're, wait, we're doing a show today? <laughs> Did you not know? You still got sleepy in the eyes. He's on time if it was last Monday. You are on last Monday's time. You were yeah. even, oh, you're even still late for that. Yeah, he would yeah. What, what happened? <laughs> you, you overslept because you didn't set your alarm clock. <sighs> yeah. Pretty much. We the minute you weren't here, I knew that's what had happened. That's how well I know you. You know me really well. Actually. I know you really well. Yeah. What What's the phrase we always say? What's the phrase yeah, we say? Um, you're late, late for daylight for savings. savings. You're, going you're going to be, to be the, in the grave. Yep. Things. Yep. Exactly. They all say that. That's what we say. Why'd you look at me that way, Terry? That was horrible. I can't remember the quote. Obviously, there. Yeah. No way. Really. That, that one I made Or up. there wasn't a quote to begin with. I made up that quote. Okay. But we all, we all know it, though. But yeah, it's Everyone a very popular that. quote about daylight savings. Um, so, well, don't worry about it. We're, hey, we're pros. We covered it. No one died. Don called like six times, though. Yeah. Don is ticked. Yeah, pretty much had a heart attack. That's That's for sure. Luckily, we have a meeting today to review the show. Oh, great. Good, good. Every Monday. <laughs> Dead. Don't worry about it. We'll stick up for you. Thank you. Good to have you here. Hey, um, so back to moral advertising. F- feel free to just say, I like being immoral. I mean, advertising-wise. Advertising-wise, okay. I hear immoral. I'm like, what? Yeah, yeah, you don't know. No, no. You don't want to be immoral, but, you know, I'm just going to buy more things. By the way, today, I'm buying a watch. It's not out today. Ah! The, the Apple Watch won't be available for another month almost. What? They announce, they do some more announcing today, and it's available in April. Uh, but if you want to watch the press conference, 
No, I want to buy the watch. I'm actually not buying it. I've decided. Okay. You talked me in earlier to just buying a Fitbit or something like that. Because after six months, yeah, as half the people to buy one of those devices, you'll end up just chucking it in a drawer. Didn't you and your wife chuck yours in the drawer? My wife did. I didn't buy one. Do me a favor. I have a phone. It does the same thing. Can you just grab your wife's Fitbit? I could. And bring it to me? I could. Let's just do that. It's cheaper than buying a phone or a watch. Just take my wife's? <laughs> we ought to probably, hey, right, make a note of this, James. Just the business. This is a business idea. Okay. Uh, business idea? <laughs> um. Start recycling Fitbits for people that succeed quickly and get rid of their fit, and they are now bitless, and resell the bits for the fitless. Wow, that's really good. Uh, could you read that back to me? Um, um, Just read it back real quick. Let's see. It's all chicken scratch right now. I, I'm going to decode okay. it later. All right. You know, you got it right. He'll form yeah. his ideas later. It's yeah. the bit and the fit and the fit and the bit. And we're gonna just we're gonna recycle. I wrote it shorthand, so it'd be a little bit. Uh, trademark that idea. Okay. So trademark. over the weekend, patent pending. Yes. Fifty year celebration. Yes. Not, not celebration. That's the wrong word for it. Remembrance of the events of Selma, Alabama. Yes, that's huge. Thousands of people marching across this bridge where the events took place. Where back in what was it, nineteen sixty four? 65. By the way, four Probably years. Probably 64. I was born four years later. Right. That's how old I am. I was born in the 60s. You feel okay? Yeah. All right. So they're, they're commemorating this event. There's all these people there, dignitaries, all kinds of things, news from all over the place are watching this area. And the police chief in Selma oh boy. decided he was going to try to stop it. Oh, boy. Because he was concerned about the safety of the bridge that they were going to march over. Oh, that's true. You don't want your bridge to collapse. That would probably be bad. That would look bad. So he was, he, he said it needed to be canceled because the bridge was overcrowded. Mm-hmm. In that situation, the president of the United States is there. Something like 200 members of Congress made the trip. Yeah. Dignitaries from all over the state. Uh, people, like thousands what do you do? of people. What do you do? Yeah. And, and you have this concern. And also looking back on this situation 50 years ago, it was the police with the batons, yeah, possibly water again. cannons. Right. Co- you know, As the police chief, do you try to stop it? Or do you just hope the bridge holds out and you let it go? I mean, I, I was reading this. He, he, was, he was thinking public safety and you try to stop something that was already – I mean, a week ago this would have been tough to yeah, stop. Th- yeah. I, I, would, I would probably – Call the the Corps of Engineers, the Army Corps of Engineers, to make sure, you know. So fix it. Well, I would just say, is this going to work? I'd say it under my breath like that. Are these, is this bridge going to collapse? That's how I'd say it. And then if they said, uh, you know, the bridge is going to collapse, then I'd make the governor do it. Okay. I'd, I'd pass it off to the governor. Push it up the yeah. chain of command. Okay. It's not your call. I just, I thought, President of the United States. I thought the police chief was probably the wrong person to try to make that decision. Yeah. Especially in Selma. Historical. You On know, the bridge. Historical, was he a white? Was he a white police I, chief? I didn't look into it that far. Let's say he was. Yeah. No. No. Near it. Absolutely not. I just asked. I'd ask the, tell the president's people, we're a little worried the bridge won't make it, but president, why don't you make the call? And in the end, the president and the dignitaries were supposed to lead everyone across the bridge yeah. and everyone just said, forget it and went across the bridge. They just did it. Yeah. They, they didn't wait. Well, when the president says, we're walking the bridge, carry so, on. Tally ho. <laughs> apparently people went, what? You're trying to uh, have some sort of a, like a- Commemoration? A, a program here? Forget it. Yeah. They just went across the bridge. So either way. That's a great, I mean, that's an important thing. When the president says, we are going to make a commemorative walk 
on the bridge, then you just smile and say, hope it holds. Best of luck. Other news, we've talked uh, before about the uh, Clinton, what's the, Bill Clinton, his charity. Yeah, Clinton Foundation. There you go, Clinton Foundation, taking foreign money. Specifically from the United Arab Emirates and uh, Saudi Arabia. Which, by the way, they don't have great women's protections. No. And are pretty oppressive to women. That's going to come back to haunt. But Madam well, Clinton, here's uh, what President Clinton was thinking about that. He says, my theory about all of this is to disclose everything and let people make their judgments. I Smart. believe that we've done a lot more good than harm. And I believe this is a good thing. I was re- uh, it was recently that several governments, including the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, donated to his foundation. He said uh, the UAE gave us money. Do we agree with everything they do? No, but mm. they help us fight ISIS. Yeah. So. He said that. That's President Clinton. That's President Clinton saying that we're, we're smart. We're going to take the money. We're going to do good with the money and let you guys figure out if that's good or bad. Yeah. Well, I. You know what? I like that. That's smart. See, to me, President Clinton is maybe handling it smarter than his wife. That's kind of been a little quiet on the issue. Now she's through Twitter, starting to talk about her emails. But I think you need to come out in front. Just get it out there. Either people are going to like it and trust it, or they're not. And if they're not, you know then maybe you're not America's candidate. That's the rule. And always let them cross the bridge. Yes. Those are the two main Absolutely. lessons. Don't, or, or as you said, find someone else to tell them yeah. not to find cross the bridge. Find someone that has more authority than you. Uh, like, Governor, you're going to have to tell the president it's not cross that bridge. That was, a, that was interesting to me. <laughs> Reading that, I'm like, wow, that could have been a big deal. That could have been a really big deal. Could you imagine that? Not good. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to continue a discussion about exercise in daily life. We all have reasons. We all have excuses for why we're not exercising. And have you ever felt like, you know, have you ever had somebody say, you really need to exercise? And you, in your head, you just think, no. Really? What, this gut? It's not taut enough for you? We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into some ideas as to why you may be struggling with it. It's not enough to just tell someone to exercise. You know what? we got to fix the real problem for why we don't exercise, and it may not be just lazy. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever had a habit you just can't break? I used to bite my nails. I didn't bite them. I used to pick them. Quit doing that. Now I can scratch people. My solution to that is I cut them to the point where I don't really have any. Yeah, so that's basically what I... Because I didn't like the feel of yeah. the nails over your... And people kept saying, man... You look like Prince. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I guess Prince has long fingernails. It's kind of scary. Or the man known as Prince. No, he, his name's back. He's Prince. Oh, is he Prince? Yeah, he's not that symbol anymore. What was it before? Yeah, the symbol. That yeah. was weird. He was formerly known as Prince. Formerly known as. Now he's Prince, formerly known as, formerly known as Prince. Wow. He's just going to want to go back to his original name. What Jimmy. Whatever his original name is. Uh, okay, so do you guys have a habit you just can't break? 
or you, that you keep, you know, you say you want to fix it. You, you really do. You're excited to fix it. But for some reason, it never goes away. It never gets fixed. You got one? Probably. You, I'm you not... broke one. You you lost 30 pounds. Yes. That's pretty manly. It was more of a wife drags me kicking and screaming. Your, but... wa- your wife lost you 30 pounds. Yes. But eventually it turned into a habit. See, now it's a habit. And that's how I tend to... Uh, best, I guess, function. Mm-hmm. Whenever, whenever I try to add something new to my life, I need to just go in, fully committed, make time, change my behavior, and just tough through the 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 period of discomfort that happens, where I've messed up my schedule. This is inconvenient. I have other things I want to do, mm-hmm. and as I just replace whatever I wanted to do with this new thing, then the new thing becomes what I want to do. I wow. think I'm a very, I have an addictive personality. That so that's I, it. So really all you've done is you've yeah. replaced an addiction with a healthy addiction. Right. So I, I don't know if that's I, really the way to do it. It, it but makes you wonder if that's it. healthy. <laughs> it's, well, whatever. If, if, I, if I don't go to the gym at like 5.30 every day, which is usually when I go, I feel bad. That's good. You feel like bad, like, oh, I just robbed a bank bad or like, oh, well. I try to do oh well, but sometimes it comes back like I, I really don't feel good about that decision. That's great. You've got a great conscience. Or not. Well, I do, but I don't know if that's healthy because missing the day at the gym, who cares? Well, no, but that's important. But I've made it such an important thing that it disrupts my life, and I don't like that. We read an article uh, by Judith Wertman, who is a PhD. She's actually the woman at Harvard that started their weight loss clinic at Harvard, and she um, it was just, it's a fantastic article about how hard it is to get enough exercise. It's very hard. And in the article, she blows up a bunch of ideas. Cause if you have ever tried to get someone to exercise by saying, Hey, you need to exercise. It's not working. You might want to just shut your mouth. That sounds rude, but it's, there's probably a better way. And one of the things she gets into it, and this is somebody that has studied it. She studied it a lot at MIT, and um, she uh, now lives in Florida but runs a, 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 different, a bunch of different programs, has written books on the subject. But in the end, this is one of the things she comes up with. Listen to this. Um, in the article, she talks about that, you know, we tell everyone to lose weight. And we can't, we also tell them that time's not an issue. Everyone has the same amount of time. But this is her argument. So if there is only 24 hours in a day, most of us need about six to seven hours. So yeah, if you need less sleep than six to seven hours, then you'll have more time to go work out, right? If you have a short commute, you'd have more time to go work out. If you have no social life, no educational endeavors on top of your job, no community obligations after work, no family, and you had a support team like the the the, the group that you see on Dow, Downton, Downton Abbey, then, you know, that will iron your pajamas for you, then they will all help you buy more time. But most of us live in a life where we are scheduled to the hilt and we have kids and we have homes and we have obligations and we have all of this stuff going on. Now, she's not saying we shouldn't, you know, she's not saying we, that's, we should use that as an excuse, but there's a reality to it. So one issue is time. This is one reason. So you'd be thinking, do you not get enough exercise because you don't really have enough time? Like sometimes for me, 
I'm, I've got a 15-hour day. And if I have a 15-hour day of just working, when I get home, I could go easily exercise, but I would, I would literally do it at, not, at the expense of not being with my family. So if I could get my family to all go exercise with me, that's about pretty much the best way I could do it. So that's one idea she has is just we all kind of live that life. But another topic she has is where do you exercise? So that's the neat thing. Everyone says you just exercise wherever you need to. That's why it's so great. You can just do it anywhere. I guess the dilemma is for a lot of the world and a lot of the United States, you live in an apartment. You live in an inner city. You live where you don't necessarily have an exercise room. So, well, then just get out on the street. Yeah, right now, get out on the streets of Boston and start exercising. Well, you could. Just shovel. Just shovel snow. Shovel the snow, yeah. Why aren't you shoveling snow? So, again, when we just throw out the idea that you just need to exercise more, you might want to be careful because part of the deal is a lot of people don't have the money to go to the gym to do it, and they don't have the money to buy the equipment. You you just need a rope. Go skip rope. Not in an apartment. You're not skipping rope in an apartment. So, again, it's another great idea. Not needing excuses, but... Let's be real. There's other things going on at play here that might be starting – that might be have to be dealt with if we're going to fix this. Another one um, is very simply just you just got to eat healthier, right? Just food. It's not a big deal. I mean how hard is that? Just eat healthier. Well, I mean healthier like you were talking about is a habit. You got you to gotta know what to make. You got to know how to make it. It's, it. it's hard. You know what? All you got to do to lose weight is so easy is you just have to eat fewer calories. Just eat fewer calories. And that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. Not well. And the base, the, 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 the concept that people always go back to yeah. is eat less, move more. Right. Right. So you're burning more calories than you're taking in. Yeah. For some people, that doesn't work. Well, metabolism wise, no, I've it, seen it doesn't pe- work. No, even if you did it, huh? I've it seen people work. that keep their food the same, increase their amount of workout. Yeah. And they gain weight. Right. It's just how their body reacts to what they're doing. My body, if I know that if I eat about 1,800 calories a day, I'm losing weight all day long. There's this weird thing in me. I guess it's my evolution. I don't know what it is. But our bodies have always been wired to eat as much as you possibly humanly can because you were always physically active. So you would always need the food. So now what we're saying to every human on earth is basically change something that you've all been wired to do. And by the way, there are people that can do it. They do it. But again, when we say you just need to eat less, that's a neat answer. But you're also dealing with humanity and human nature. So we're going to have to figure out a way around all of these ideas or we're going to just keep saying you need to eat less. Come on. Um So there's the battle. We have this inherent drive to eat like crazy, and none of us are making time. So you know what you need? You need a treadmill at work. So while you're working on your computer, when you're just working, you can just be on the treadmill and just burn calories. Have you you seen somebody on a treadmill desk? Just on a video. Yeah. Goofy. It it, it seems to me it would be difficult to uh, be stable, I guess. Well, let's have your dentist do it. Right. So the one that wrote the article that says you just need to be on a treadmill at work. Yeah. Let's have your dentist while he's filling your cavity 
well, be on a treadmill. It's not in every situation. Oh, exactly. Okay, if let's you have, have your desk. attorney do it in the middle of the courtroom. Okay. Let's do that. That could work. They let's, all sit at desks. Let's have your therapist in the middle of your therapy session because you're high sensitive and noises scare you. Let's have him prouncing on a treadmill. See, it doesn't work everywhere. Let's have your Walmart employee walking on a treadmill for eight hours a day. Well, they wouldn't need to because they're standing. Right. They're walking around the store. But again, if they got to work their 10 hours or eight hours to get their check to then go to their second job, it's going to be harder to lose weight. And then we all look at them like, oh, that person is so out of control. When I started working out, I cut sleep. Yeah, that's what you do. Because that was, well, it was the extra time I had. I, I was getting up at about 3.30 in the morning yeah. to get to work at 4. Why? Because that was the job. I'd work till about noon, 11.30 or noon. Was this prison? No, it was okay. radio, but okay. same, same thing. thing. So you, I'd go home for an hour for lunch, and then I'd go back, and I'd work another four to five hours. Get off <sighs> around just before six, race home, change, grab my wife, and we'd tear off to the gym. We'd do about an hour workout. Yeah. And then come home. You did that together. Well, and that was so that the, was kind that of that was the time. key. Is that was a thing we chose that's to great. be our thing to do together. See, that's the key. To she this. tried to do it by herself. It's it hard. didn't work. It doesn't work. This, we started doing it together, and we decided as a team we were going to change our diet because we couldn't. We did it before where she tried to change her diet, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to eat healthy, and I was having all the awesome food. <laughs> so that didn't help her. Yeah. Right, because she's eating this healthy that wasn't really what she wanted to eat at the moment. I'm eating a nice plate of something better. So she would just eat that because she instead of making two meals, she was just right. making one. Well, we got to be efficient. So, of course, now we're both eating the same way. We both eat healthy. And that combined with the exercise, we both lost 30 pounds. Wow. That's huge. And that's baby weight. It just it was gone. Every time my wife had a child, I gained 10 pounds. We have six kids. Wow. Train wreck. So, so you weighed like 100 pounds when it started. Mm-hmm. You just kept piling it on. Yeah, I was a 95. <laughs> I was a skinny little fella. We're going to take a break. When we come back, let's get some solutions here. Let's also talk about what we call the dueling commitment. We're going to get into the coach's corner. A dueling commitment is when you have two goals simultaneously, right? Like you want to go provide for your family and you want to be healthy. And yet, if you only end up providing for your family and your health never gets better, then there's probably really only one goal one goal that you're living, right? We're going to talk about it. How do you get down to those dueling commitments, those deeper thoughts that are keeping you from actually making change in your life? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back right here on BYU Radio right after the break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking in the Coach's Corner right now, giving you some ideas for how you could go about overcoming or making a change in your life. Instead of just telling everybody to do something, we we need to help facilitate the how to do it, right? And figure out maybe why they keep doing something. 
Um, I think our general assumption about somebody that isn't in shape is that they just are lazy. But I'm pretty, you know, sure that most of us would love to get in shape. In fact, most of us set that as a New Year's resolution. And then amazingly, by June 15th, we're, we're eating our Christmas candy. Or January 15th, we're eating our Christmas candy. And, you know, we haven't made any changes in our lives. So how do we make the change? I call it a dueling commitment. A dueling commitment is when we have two things, two goals that are seemingly at odds, and yet only one of them we know about. One of my favorite um, quotes is by Albert Einstein says, you cannot attempt to solve a problem that you created at the same level of thinking you were at when you created it. Make sense? You cannot attempt to solve a problem you created at the same level of thinking you were at when you created it. So think about it. If you have a habit that you can't fix, you've tried forever, then you're going to have to probably change your thinking. Your thinking eventually is going to generate your feelings. Your feelings motivate your doings. Your doings determine what you're becoming. Thinking, feeling, doing. Most of us don't work on what we're doing. I mean, most of us work only on what we're doing. We don't work on our thinking. We work on if we're doing the goal or not. Did we do the goal? We don't necessarily work on if we feel like doing the goal, and we don't necessarily work on what we're thinking that generates our feelings. For example, I know I should eat healthier. I know I should. My goal, eat healthier. (sighs) Should be easy, right? Just eat healthier. In fact, I was talking to some of our producers Uh, on the show, and she's like, you just need to eat more kale. And then I quickly Googled kale because that the word kale is not part of my vernacular. It's not part of my vocabulary. And I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, no. You know what that is, right? Uh, Weeds. Well, if you've been to a salad bar in the last 20 years, there's some greenery that decorates a salad bar. You don't eat it. Yeah, it's the greenery that supports. That's kale, the... and now people are juicing it. And yeah, you know it's a it superfood. It's because while they were at the salad bar, <laughs> the somebody mistook it because there was some junk on the sneeze guard. And they're like, oh, I guess I'll just take some of that salad. Looks good. And they tried it, and it's just, oh, that's kale. Some of the salad places actually have plastic kale, which, by the way, tastes exactly like regular kale. Now, I know somebody's out there like, hey, man, don't badmouth Kale. I know Kaylee's doing that right now. Um, But I'm not a Kale guy. So I know I need to eat healthier. That was my goal. I'm going to eat healthier. And yet, January 2nd, I'd find myself at the McDonald's drive-thru. Got my same order. January 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th. I. (laughs) Five days in a row. I did the McDonald's one-year test before that guy ever did. Oh, before you supersized yourself? Yeah, before that. Give me a break. And and what were the the benefits for you? Well, my kidneys collapsed, and I passed two stones. What's interesting about that is the supersize me is the documentary. Right. And he gained a ton of weight. He ate only McDonald's for an entire month. And oh, was he only a month? Yeah, some, I think it was a month. What a sissy! There was another guy. I did it who, for a year. Uh, <laughs> I did it for a year. I've done it for most of my life. <laughs> another guy did it, and he avoided eating or getting the uh, the drink. Yeah. Right. Right. Did that help? And he lost weight. Oh, did he really? There's he empty- still ate a Big Mac. He ate a Big Mac. 
What did he drink? Water? Water. Ugh. Really? You just avoid the empty calories of the, the liquid, and he was going to see, lose a lot see, of weight. That, that's kind of the idea, though. See, a little change, like just let's get a different drink. Or some people would say, let's just try a different restaurant. Right. That might work. A little change. A little change goes a long way. Not saying that necessarily diet soft drinks are the best thing for you either, but they're better than the full bore sugar sure. that are in the normal drinks. When we, So here's the weird thing. I keep showing up at McDonald's, and when they know your name, like, Matt, what's up? Well, hello. And, and you, you want your regular? And there's, it's yep. like the, I'm going, nope, I'm going drinkless today. Drink They're all like, what's going on? Are you on a diet, Matt? I'll have a milkshake instead. But here's the funny thing. I would keep going even though I had a goal to lose weight. Somehow I never thought about the goal to lose weight because I'm at McDonald's. You know why? Because I had a dueling commitment. I had two ideas. One was the idea I'm saying that I want to lose weight. The other idea is hidden deep, 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 deep down inside of my head. And you know what that idea was? That idea was to make as much money as I can or I could at the time as a coach coaching people on their relationships, which meant I needed to push eight clients through my office. So if I wanted to push eight clients through my office, that left me literally with about 15 minutes for lunch. If I didn't plan ahead and bring my Kel pops or whatever they are. If I didn't bring some bit of kale stew and I didn't plan my lunch that way, then when I showed up to work and I saw my eight clients, I had 15 minutes and I was starving. And my brain just naturally said, hey, go see the go see your friends at Mackie D's. It's fast. It's convenient. They like me. 15 minutes. They love me there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm amongst my friends. And so I show up not even thinking about it. And a lot of us have these dueling commitments. And it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be like you it's because of your parents and your parents oppressed you and it's not sometimes it's just simply you build systems that you're not even thinking of. Last yesterday, I made a meal, I made lunch for my family, my wife made dinner. Both meals were pasta. We had two pasta carbohydrate meals. It's messed up. In, unless you're running a marathon today, then you're fine. Right. But Guess what? But you're not. No marathon today. <laughs> I'm just hobbling down the hall with my dragging my leg with plantar fascia. But, but it is interesting. When you go to make a big change in your life, you have to something has to move. Because you only have so much time to work with. That's right. And so, so what, what I'd move, though, is I wouldn't even work on your schedule yet. I would work on the thought behind it. And so why is it that I'm losing the weight? So if I, so here's the way we do this. Okay. Everybody out there, think of something you want, name something you're committed to changing in your life that will elevate your life, your state of being might be losing weight. It might be improving your communication with your spouse. It might be getting a better job, being happier about your life, whatever it is. And now answer this question. What are you doing right now or not doing that keeps you from reaching your commitment in that area? What is it that stops you from doing that? Well, for me, it was eating at McDonald's. If you're, if you're struggling with your spouse, it might be you argue too much. It might be you're too busy with your computers and your internet and your cell phones. We all have a desired state. What are the things you're doing or not doing that keeps you from your desired state? Then the next thing I want you to answer is what feelings continue to trigger you to keep doing what you're doing? What triggers you? 
What are the things that keep you? What What are the things that keep triggering me to keep going back to McDonald's? And it wasn't necessarily just that I love their high sugar foods or their high sugar and salt foods. Good fries. And I hate their fries. It's really? interesting. I don't even eat their fries. Wow. But because they're too salty. That's the point. Then you get a drink. You know, then it's a spiral. So what feelings kept driving me back to McDonald's was simply the feeling of trying to get as much done for my family financially. That was it. I was trying. My whole motivation was just keep busy, keep busy, keep busy. But I never planned ahead. Doesn't mean I couldn't. I totally could. But something kept driving me there that I wasn't even thinking about. Sometimes it's fear. Why would you keep yelling at your spouse or getting in an argument with your spouse instead of just talking? It might just simply be the fear of, you know, that you're not good enough. But something keeps driving you to not do what you should be doing. What keeps driving you to not do the exercise regimen that used to work for you four years ago that you loved and it worked and you kept weight off for a year? Why haven't you gone back to that? That seems like an obvious answer. Well, uh, because I don't want people to, to, you know, believe I'm going to do it again and if I really don't want to do it yet. Great. Then from those feelings, you track it back one more step. What assumptions or thoughts are you making that are driving those feelings? The people won't accept me if I keep setting goals and not keeping them. That uh, one thought might be is that, uh, you know, I won't. I don't have time, the simple thought that I don't have time to actually eat healthy. Or I might have a thought that to eat healthy takes more time. And it doesn't necessarily do that because I've done the Subway diet before. By, by the way, I have a Subway just as close to my house as I have a, or my office as I have a McDonald's. But why do I not go there? Messed up. Messed up because I don't think about it. Tough stuff, huh? Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up uh, this, this idea. I want you truly thinking about it. What is getting in the way of you? Don't just chalk it up to time. Don't just chalk it up to whatever. There's some thought behind it. And if we don't fix the thought, we're going to be stuck. We're going to be stuck. And uh, that's not ever pleasant, is it? We're going to take a break. Back with more here on The Coach's Corner with Dr. Matt Townsend. I'm your host right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we're taking on an an interesting idea of just, you know, when somebody tells you you need to exercise, amazingly, it still doesn't change your paradigm. I mean, I've had a doctor say, you might want to lose some weight, and I look at him like, what an idiot. Are you talking smack? He's like, no, sir, I was just giving you some medical advice. Any doctor that has told me that? Yeah. I almost want to say right back at you. Right back at you. They might need to lose a couple pounds, too. (laughs) See, mine's all skinny. He runs marathons. I told him about my plantar. He says, you know, one of the fastest ways to probably fix that is lose some weight. I'm not even that overweight. I'm 20 pounds, probably. It doesn't take much. My doctor says 30. It's that extra force on that foot. It's just that extra force. But you lose 30 pounds, it's going to change the world. But here's the deal. So we've been talking about how our thinking gets in the way. One time I put my sunglasses on my head, lost them. Couldn't find them. 
They were on my head, of course, but I couldn't find them. And I was asking my family because we were supposed to be going on a trip. And I'm like, we can't leave till we find them. Like, let's hurry. Everybody look. Everybody look. So I got everybody looking for my sunglasses that were on my head. Couldn't find them. They didn't see them? No. Can you believe that? I mean, obviously, I couldn't see them. But they couldn't even see them. <laughs> it's funny because normally we can see when somebody's thinking's messed up. Like, like James. We all knew where, James, we knew where you were today, James. We knew. We knew. It was hard to get up. You forgot to set your alarm. We know. And I went looking for my glasses, couldn't find them. Finally went, was looking in my closet on the floor, bent over, and my, my glasses fell off my head. And I yelled, found them. Got them. Found them. And everyone's like, where, where were they? They were, in the ba- they were in the closet on the floor. That's where I found them. And my wife's like, I checked the closet. They, I didn't see them. Yeah, they were by my shoes. Yeah, I thought I checked over there. Yeah, no, I don't know. She's like, let me see him. Ah, well, good. Let's just get going. No need. No need. Let's, let's, no, no time no, no, to dilly dally. Let's don't worry about this. Let's moving. Get moving. <laughs> and she said, I want to just see which ones they are. And I showed her. And she's like, those are the glasses we were looking for? I'm like, yep. She's like, those were on your head. And I'm like, I know. Right on my head. And she just said, you're an idiot. I mean, in a good way. Lovingly. I could not solve the problem that I can't see. And so I could have done a million things different, but the glasses were still on my head. And then, you know, the next day when I showered or whatever, I'd notice them. They'd fall out in the shower. That's what we got to get out of our head, guys. There's certain thoughts that if we keep having the thought, it keeps leading to a feeling. And most of the time, these thoughts we're not even paying attention to. So what is the thought that keeps you from exercising? And don't assume it's got to be some major psychological discussion. It might be something just situational. It might be, uh, Terry and I were just talking about simply the idea that I want a break. I want a break. I don't want to spend 15 hours working every day and then go exert more energy on a treadmill. I want a break. And in my head, I have a thought that a break means maybe watching a Netflix, kicking back, boom. Another thought I might have is I don't want to take myself away from my family. But interestingly, I would if I could go take a break. And Terry just reminded me something. When I, a year and a half ago, even with plantar, I was still running on a treadmill every day. It was blowing my ankle up, my foot up. But you know what? I was still able to do it. And the way I was able to do it is because I took that as my break. And I'd go take my iPad down and I would go run on a treadmill. And so I started thinking, well, why am I not doing that? Because I haven't thought about that. If I could go get away with a really good series, I'd go watch the series. And that would get me exercising again. And my wife would probably be happier because I'd be, you know, having that boyish, you know, figure again. I don't know that's what she wants, but it's all about the thinking. It's all about the thinking. Does does it help when you unite your goals with your families? See, that's a great idea. Yeah. When my when my wife wants me to eat healthier, I eat healthier. And when we're together on the same page and we both want to get on the same kind of diet or program, it works better. But it's interesting. It's still not my thought. It's kind of just our thought. But sometimes having someone else's thought helps you create good feelings. And then those good feelings help create good doings, which are the habits we need. I'm at the point where I do things my wife asks just because it's easier. Smart. And also, all the things I've done in the past have ended up being for the better. Isn't that that enough? Even though initially I don't want to do it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I have all these reasons why I don't want to. I follow through with it because she has a good track record with me of getting me on the right track and getting me to a better place. That's see, that's why you'd be you'd be dead without her. Because I would never do anything. We all know that. <laughs> I'd go home and watch TV. I think we all would, and it's men for women too. Right? So it's not just that women are the only good things in the world for men, but men are great things for women too. But in the end, we need help and yet it still is going to come down to your thinking. So get down to it. I need you to start questioning your thinking, your deeper thinking. And it's hard because how, what do you question your deeper thinking with but deeper thinking? So quit telling the stories that don't work. The second you keep reinforcing that you're too busy to exercise, then you are. But there's probably a deeper reason why you're not exercising. And – Again, you might just need to back it off of just simply the thought of what you think exercise is, because maybe if you just stood more, it would be better for you. Even in your job, if you just stood where you could stand more, it would still be healthier for you. So this doesn't need to like be major shifts and that you don't need to go sit there. I mean, maybe your thought of exercise is that you got to have you got to be ripped with no neck like James. You don't have to be like that. Right, James? Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> Did I wake you up? No. I woke you up. No. That's right. Get no. Oh, well, I, yeah, I, yeah. Let's go back to sleep. Anyway, it's it's simple goal setting. So your simple job, what's getting in the way? What's the thought that keeps you doing the thing that you're not getting the results on? In the end, if you have two goals, one is overt and we talk about, I'm going to lose weight, and one is hidden and quiet, we're going to know in the end which goal is more important to you because it's the one producing results. So if you're not producing a result on your health goal, then odds are you have a thought that's stopping you from it. Quit just telling the story that reinforces why you don't do it and get back and just simply keep asking the question, why do I not give more time to this? And it might simply be because I want to be with my kids. Why would you rather be more with your kids and at the expense of your exercise, is there not a way to do both? And by the way, if you don't exercise, are you really going to be with your kids that much anyway? You're going to die very young. Folks, it's just our head. And if we don't start leading it, then it's going to lead us. And that's the sad truth about human uh, natural thinking is it just keeps us trapped. And it keeps me and my family running around our house for an hour longer than we needed to because I had a pair of glasses on my head and I created such energy that nobody could see them. All we need to do is reevaluate the thought. So let's start going a little deeper. Let's start solving the deeper issue. You know what? One of the great uh, solutions by Judith Wortman is very simply, if we can sell people on fast food, why can't we figure out a way to have a fast gym experience where you can run in, you borrow the clothes, and in 40 minutes you're in and out, you're showered, you're done. I bet you people would pay five bucks for that a day. Don't lock me into a long contract. Let me just come work out for five minutes or for five bucks. And why don't we start getting more and more uh, technology that can help us exercise more efficiently. Instead of trying to sell me another gadget, let's figure out a way to do it with one gadget. Not a pill, just a gadget. Anyway. 
we got to start thinking in technology in every way that we do this. Instead of just making announcements and pronouncements that people need to lose weight, we all need to change our thinking about it. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, a new hour, hour number three is underway. And interesting thing we're going to talk about, lotteries. A lot of countries or a lot of uh, states are making a ton of money on the lottery. Is it the best way to get money for education? Or are we just kind of setting our people up to become addicted to gambling? This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're taking on that issue after this break. friends how's the commute you kicking back you're drinking a little oj in the morning on your drive beware of micro sleeps yes we talked about that earlier micro sleeps are uh, little dwarf like sleeps a study in the christian science monitor shows that daylight savings leads to possible micro sleeps which are (laughs) hey hold on wake up Hmm? are we there okay Not necessarily where you fall asleep, but where your attention is gone. You just kind of zoned out. You miss an exit on the freeway. I missed a turnoff on the freeway last week. I was just, what what happened? You know, just, you're just cruising along and you just phase out. Next thing you know, you're in San Diego. (laughs) How did this happen? You're at the beach in San Diego. So be aware of micro sleeps. Uh, The micro sleeps, I think I've had them my entire life. I zone out all the time. I remember long periods of senior history class that just disappeared because I just started staring at a wall and I don't know what happened. I actually call mine micro-awakes. Micro-awakes. There's just certain moments where I'm awake for a microsecond. You have a a elevated sense of awareness more Mm -hmm. than usual. Mm -hmm. Especially during this time of year (laughs) when we're moving the clocks. It's just just a few seconds. It is interesting how much that affects people. Oh, yeah. Just psychologically, doesn't it? I, I look at it. You change the clock. That's what time of day it is. My wife was like, yesterday at, at 7, she goes, it's only 6 o'clock. What are we doing? No, it's 7. She went, oh, right. I go, you have to stop that or yes. you're going to be stuck. You're going to kill us. You're going to drive off the road. My alarm went off on my phone and I looked at my clock. My clock said one time, my phone said another. I liked my clock more that day. <laughs> my phone, my enemy. Your enemy. But you know what? Again, it doesn't matter. We're still tired. Life still happens. Nothing is going to stop just because you have a little micro sleep. No one's going to die. Maybe your car. That's true. That's what they're talking about. Totally true. Other things I saw over the weekend. What? They had to move the Iditarod. They did? Up to, in, up oh, in Alaska. Boston? Did no, they move well, it over to Boston? They should have. There's more snow there than apparently in Alaska right yeah. now. They had to move it north. Oh, to Russia. No, just northern Alaska. Okay. Move it north. They said that they're, they're, they're saying they should have started it with, with slush instead of screaming mush for the dogs. <laughs> slush. There's just no snow in Fairbanks where they, they begin the, uh, what is it, the 225-mile uh, race, right? So they had to move it further confusing. north so they could have this year's Iditarod. They said they've had to do it several times before, but yeah. 
Not like this. They said the ceremonial start of the race still went off as planned on Saturday, but only because crews hauled in around 350 truckloads of snow. They had to still make their track to get them to the slush, which then could get them to northern yeah. Alaska. So, I wonder if they bought it from that guy in Boston. They could that have. was a huge mm. sale for him. The that ma- guy's The mail-order snow guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe he has a bulk rate now. Yeah. Yeah, they brought they brought it in about, you know, 100 yard at a time. Yeah, I did rod, sponsored by Phil. 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 The snowman. <laughs> Boston's number one snow vendor. A North Korean diplomat caught at a Bangladesh airport with $1.4 million in gold. Oh, boy. Wow. It was in the form of bar. Uh-huh. Bars and ointments. Gold ointment? Oh, is that that gold bond? Yeah. I didn't know it was real gold in gold bond. So just, he had it in different forms. Okay. And uh, they said it was 27 kilograms hmm. of uh, of gold. That's a, uh, in bars and... Well, ornaments, excuse me. Okay. That makes ornaments. a lot of sense. Yeah, I know, I know. I was like, ornaments? <laughs> yeah. Ornaments are right. Ornaments. So, so bars and ornaments. Like a so Santa Claus Bars ornament. and then different yeah, kind of, n- yeah. knickknacks of things in yeah. gold. He had 27 kilograms. Do you know how much 27 kilograms? No, how, much, how much is that? 59 pounds. <laughs> in his carry. <laughs> He's just trucking this around through the airport. <laughs> <laughs> He's the guy. But He's apparently, the guy with the hernia. Apparently, this is how North Korea gets the funding of some of their elites so they can live the life they want to under the, this, guy, the current economic state of North Korea. Lenny, the gold guy. So, so he, everyone's here selling their gold and Lenny's buying it and putting, you know, bringing, buying ornaments. And, and I'm like, okay, people smuggle things. Sure. If you look, go, go to Instagram and look at TSA, they'll show you all the mm-hmm. weapons people try to sneak onto airplanes. It's yeah. pretty interesting. But 59 pounds? Yeah. I mean, that's a dead giveaway, especially with the new scanners. You're going to catch 59 pounds of gold. I'd like to see him, like, trying to pick up that bag and putting it in the overhead. <laughs> I'll, just put, I'll just put this under the seat. It's fine. <laughs> the funny thing is, is it's 59 pounds of gold, 100 pounds of hernia. Yeah. It's a lot of hernia. You know, maybe it's just better. There's got to be a better way. You would think there's – after – They've, they've been doing this a while. You'd think there's a better way to smoke gold. Well, I think gold. the ornaments are brilliant because then you're like, I'm just trying to decorate our house. Right. And then you can melt it down later. And... Yeah. And make like a grill. Put it in your mouth. Because <laughs> that's what they're doing. That's they're what making, you got to do. They're making dental attachments. Yeah. I, I'm, I'd get a grill. So over it's the weekend. not there yet. Where did that story go? They'd say BYU Radio in gold chips. I mean in diamond chips. So two stories here. Yeah. Obama over the weekend, President Obama said Sunday that Iran must agree to stringent conditions in a potential nuclear deal or the U.S. will walk away. Now he's talking, talking. Here's here's the deal or we're walking away from the table. Interesting. Now he's actually just telling that to the United States people. Well, I mean, that's who he talks to. He says for a deal to work out, the U.S. would have to verify that they are not going to obtain a weapon and that there is a breakout period so that even if they cheated, we would be able to have enough time to take action. Hmm. Hmm. So. He's talking tough now. He's got to. He, he just got beat up by BB. So over the weekend, I found this poll. Yeah. Website called uh, YouGov.com. You go there, there's a bunch of polls. 
It's the poll site. They found that 45% of respondents have given absolutely no thought to apocalypse preparation. What percent? What? 45% of respondents have given no thought to the apocalypse. No thought? Don't come crying to my house when the apocalypse So Obama's Obama's talking tough to Iran. No thought to the apocalypse. Hmm. What's wrong with America? Where are your priorities? The poll results, when broken down between Democrats and Republicans, because that's really the only way to break down polls nowadays, (laughs) 11% of Democrats and 13% of Republicans actually have apocalypse survival plans. That's good. Well, have they not seen the zombie invasions? They could very well happen. Man. Just plan ahead. It says, as for survival confidence, more Republicans than Democrats believe they will be able to survive for over a week. It's because of guns. It's guns. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be ugly when All, the apocalypse comes. It says, also, significantly more men are confident they'll survive for at least a week than women are. You know what? I think they're grossly overestimating that. Yeah, I think it's just because men are more overly confident. <laughs> yeah. And I think more men actually are praying for a zombie apocalypse. Because... We think it'd be kind of cool. It'd be way cool. <laughs> I think it'd be horrible. I would just stay locked into the studio. Make us pretty safe here? Oh, yeah. We got everything here. We got a vending machine. Yeah. We got, you know... There's TV. Chip dice or whatever. There's TV. If we're bored, There's we could TV. go make TV. Plus, you got radio. You could just have live play-by-play of the apocalypse. I can't believe they did a study on that. No, it's just a study. I can't believe you read it. Of course I read it. It said apocalypse on it. I had a guy at church once say, yeah, well, so anyway, I got like a four-year supply of everything and ammo. And you all might think that's extreme, but let me just tell you, when it hits, don't come knocking to my door. (laughs) And I'm like, that's the spirit of it. Thanks, brother. Thank you. That is the spirit that we want to have. I will kill you if it ever gets bad. Do you remember the Snuggie? Uh, yeah, got one on. The blanket yeah. with sleeves? That, by the way, I wish we could play the commercial because that is, hands down, worst commercial ever made. Why is that? Because they're doing line dancing in Snuggies. <laughs> yeah. Need you say more. And um, it's just... Two, you're not a, a snuggie does not make you that happy. Just because your hands can move in your blanket doesn't mean you should break dance. It it did <laughs> oh, serve a purpose yeah. for someone out there. Put it on, their life was changed. Well, snuggie, the FTC has accused the company that sells the snuggie of deceptive practices and hopes to return millions to duped customers. All-Star Marketing Group, that's the company that mm-hmm. owns it, has been found guilty of hiding shipping and handling fees from consumers. They had a two-for-one deal. Yeah. But it was two-for-one, but each one you had to spend you like to eight bucks for, shipping and handling. shipping, yeah. Yeah, so it ended up being like $35 instead of $20. And yeah. So they said that's deceptive and you need to pay that back. So the company is paying back the $7.5 million fine, but admits no fault. Snuggies. So it's a Snuggie. Snuggy, you know. Um, did you ever think of purchasing no, a Snuggy, never. calling well, in? No, I never. You did. No, I didn't. You I, wanted a Snuggy. Oh, I thought it would be a great white elephant. I think that's where most of them ended up. There's one that's like a leopard skin, and on the, yeah. in the commercial, there's like a senior lady that's wearing it, and it did make her look about ten years younger. <laughs> you look younger because <laughs> she's wearing like a leopard skin. Anyway, Snuggy. Well, that's too bad.
But again, deceptive practices. That's why we've got our next guest on. Uh, Dr. Victor Matheson is going to join us. And uh, he uh, he's an economics professor from the College of the Holy Cross. And Victor uh, Matheson has been studying lotteries. Are they all they're cracked up to be? We're going to be talking about national lotteries. Is it a good idea, a bad idea? When we come back, this is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Vegas has a huge claim to fame because of all the gambling that goes on there. Annually, Americans pay $65.5 billion in another form of gambling, the lottery. Okay, lottery tickets. Did you know that? $65.5 billion a year in lottery tickets just to make bank. Okay, right? Just to make some money. The largest sum ever won was in 2012 for a pot of $656 million. But did you know that the lottery actually has a very close relationship with the economy? Here to tell us more about it is Professor Victor Matheson, an economics professor from the College of Holy Cross in Worcester, uh, Massachusetts. Dr. Matheson, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, thanks for having me. Great to have you. Now, how, first of all, how did you get into the lottery studying business? How did you choose lotteries to study? Well, all things. Uh, what's kind of cool is uh, since lotteries are all run by the state, it means that you have all this data that's available for that type of gambling that you don't have for anything else. And uh, anytime you can get data, you can <laughs> right. go to war with the data you have and not the data you want. And so state lotteries are a great thing to look at. Well, teach us a little bit about the history. Why, why did the state ever get involved in you know, a form of gambling like the lottery anyway? Well, actually, lotteries have this huge long history. Uh, here in the United States, for example, uh, we funded part of the Revolutionary War through lotteries. Uh, wow. Daniel Hall here in Boston, uh, Harvard University, Princeton, all, all funded with lotteries. Uh, it's a pretty good way to get taxes from people because it's a kind of a voluntary tax. Rather than making everyone pay, uh, you, all the people who are interested in, in, in getting involved with the lottery, uh, it's, kind of a vol- it's kind of a voluntary tax, kind of a nice way to raise revenue if you can. Yeah, I, mean, I guess it is, isn't it? it is it... It doesn't seem like everybody would play equally, is it? I mean, across all economic education levels, does everybody play the lottery equally? Well, a lot of people call the lottery a uh, tax on people who are bad at math. Uh, (laughs) Non-math people, yeah. That being said, uh, if you do look, uh, the uh, lottery is played uh, by people of all income levels, but as a percentage of of your income, uh, very disproportionately this tax falls upon the poorest folks. Uh, and, of course, it depends on the type of lottery ticket being purchased as well. There are different lottery products that target different income levels and different types of people. Hmm. Is it – maybe get into what you're finding economically. Is it, a, is it a smart thing? I mean, I guess we're trying to raise money for governments so we don't have to tax people. Nobody – no you know, politician wants to tax people, I guess. Um, it doesn't necessarily make great – voting records and or you know you're not going to get elected but is it does it work is it is there a payoff for the government well so that's kind of a yes and no so um if you look at states in general 
uh, about 2% of state revenues uh, across the United States, on average, are paid for through lottery revenues. So, you know, that's not a huge amount, 2%, but in, 2%. Uh, most wow. end, in most states, that's as much as we collect from, for example, tax on gasoline uh, or uh, tax on liquor. So, uh, y- you know, again, it kind of depends what you're looking at. It, it's it's no replacement for the income tax. It's no replacement for property or sales tax. But uh, it certainly makes some uh, big differences at the margin. Well, it seems like, too, you you might make more money if you were doing a state lottery instead of a national lottery, wouldn't you? Well, so that's, a, that's one of the interesting issues there is uh, it turns out there are a, a large group of individuals that aren't necessarily interested in buying a scratch-off ticket and winning maybe 100 bucks or 500 bucks. Uh, what they want are those huge jackpots. Right. Uh, you know, again, you talked about that $650 million jackpot. Mega, uh, no, Powerball just uh, about three weeks ago had another $500 million jackpot. Uh, that was all in the news. Um, but in order to get jackpots that big, you really have to have a huge pool of purchasers. Hmm. Uh, it used to be back in the old days that the only states that could, that could have enough ticket buyers to generate these huge $100 million, $200 million jackpots, states like California, Texas, Florida, New York, you know, the really big population. And so what happened is all the smaller states started to get together and uh, pool all their people so that they could offer these multi-state lotteries uh, that indeed are these uh, these huge jackpots. Same thing happens in Europe. They have a Euro Millions, which isn't just Spain or just Germany or just France. It's all of the uh, countries in the EU all coming together. And those get up to the, you know, $500 million range as well. But is it, you correct me, you're the economist here. It seems like if I'm paying 600 or if I'm paying 67 billion or whatever, that's if I'm just paying it into this lottery and then my state gets about 2% back, wouldn't it just be smarter to just buy and spend all of that same money buying, you know, Slurpees at 7-Eleven and property and all of the other things that would push the economy anyway? Yeah, so that is one thing you have to worry about when you're deciding whether you're going to institute a new lottery. So, for example, Utah is one of the last remaining states in the in the United States without a lottery. And Wyoming, just next door, uh, was just the last state to add a lottery mm. just a couple years ago. And uh, one thing you do worry about is you say, okay, I might be selling $100 million of lottery tickets but uh, and, and generating some tax revenue from that. But uh, I'm also taking $100 million out of people's pockets, and that's $100 million dollars that they might have spent elsewhere in the economy on other things. Mm. And so you do have to worry about that. That's what's called the cannibalization effect. And you also have to worry about that if there are other gambling opportunities in your state uh, that you might be taxing heavily as well. Uh, Interestingly enough, Nevada, the most gambling-happy state in the United States, again, is one of only about five states in the U.S. without a state lottery uh, (laughs) because the casinos don't want competition from the state. Interesting. And the state, I guess, chooses to do it. Um, I mean, it's, I guess you're going to get it one way or another. You're either going to have to tax, like I guess Utah taxes, to get its money to come in. But it's interesting, too. I guess we, we also, you know, it, when Prohibition was here, we most states, our state, and I'm, I'm sure most states probably also had their own state liquor stores where they could – you know, purchase and, and, and manage the flow of, of alcohol. Is this, is this, would you think the, the lottery is, is, uh, is it positive? Is it healthy in the end when you look at it as an economist? Is it something that is good for us? 
Well, I think uh, the I think the uh, com- comparison to liquor is is pretty interesting, right? Yeah. Uh, for the vast majority of of individuals, they enjoy a glass of wine, they enjoy beer, and uh, therefore providing that and lo- allowing people to purchase that and then taxing it uh, is a is both good for the consumer and good for the uh, state as well. Yeah. Uh, we also, however, know that uh, when abused, alcohol is a terrible, uh, terribly addictive drug and has massive, uh, massive problems. Uh, so the question is, what do you do? Uh, what we've seen in gambling is that if the state prohibits gambling, that doesn't keep gambling from happening. It just goes underground. Sure. And so the question is, do you want uh, do you want your gambling above ground where you can tax it heavily and then regulate it, or do you want to drive it all uh, into into uh, underground uh, black market gambling? And and most states have decided, uh, well, we might as well do that, especially. When you've got states right next door that sell lottery tickets, you know, yeah, right. the, worst, the worst possible world is you're a state without a lottery, and uh, yet all of your all of your at risk people just go next door to, to buy all their lottery tickets, and so you have all the problems without any of the revenue. No, that's true, exactly, and you see that here in Utah. Even they all head up to Idaho and. And now, I guess, Wyoming to buy yeah, their sure, lottery right. tickets. So uh, that's, of course, why Wyoming uh, got on the bandwagon. And mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, Cheyenne, uh, the largest city, is just right across the Colorado border. And, and, and you certainly don't want that. Right. Uh, mind you, Wyoming did something very interesting that most states haven't done. Uh, there are different types of lottery products, uh, scratch-off tickets. Uh, a lot of economists call that the crack cocaine of, of lottery <laughs> tickets. Uh, Praise upon the poor, disp- uh, disproportionately purchased by lower-income individuals. Uh, and uh, maybe the most destructive of a product, but one that you can make a lot of money on, uh, as opposed to the Powerball tickets that are much more spread out among all types of income levels and much less uh, risk of, of the destructive uh, you know, gambling addiction. Interesting. And, and so Wyoming has decided to just sell the Powerball and the, the big interstate uh, lotteries, the big multi-state lotteries, and isn't actually selling the scratch-off tickets. That's so, smart. Well, I mean, and it's, again, the addictive side of this I'd love to talk about uh, when we come back. Let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Victor Matheson from um, the Holy, where did I go? The Holy Cross, which is, he's an economics professor from the College of the Holy Cross and is teaching us today about lotteries and the economy behind it. Is it really something that uh, that helps? If we're getting 2% back for government, you know, basically taxing, is this the way we're going to raise money? We'll talk more when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Right now, we've been talking about uh, the lottery, the national lottery that goes on, and uh, you know, a lot of money being spent every year. Sixty-five point five billion dollars sold in lottery tickets annually. So, you know, something's going on. We decided to ask uh, a professional who has actually studied it. Professor Victor Matheson is an economics professor from College of the Holy Cross. Uh, Doctor Matheson, welcome back to the show. Again, thanks for having me. Great to have you. And, I mean, it's 
it's it's so interesting because a lot of everybody kind of knows that there's a potential addictive side to the gambling. And um, I know that some of the money in each of these states ends up going to have classes for people not to become addicted to gambling. Yeah, actually, it's probably worth uh, your your listeners knowing exactly what happens when you buy a lottery ticket. Yeah. So uh, a $1 lottery ticket, of that dollar, uh, $0.05 cents stays with the store, so it stays with 7-Eleven or the gas station or wherever you're uh, buying that from. About 50 or $0.60 cents goes into the prizes, so a bunch of that's returned. Okay. And then about uh, $0.05, cents, uh, $0.07 cents goes into administration, so that's running the lottery, advertising, things like that. Everything left over, which is usually about uh, 25 cents to 30 cents of every lottery ticket, then goes to the state. When you, so it's about a 30% tax, as it turns out, per ticket. Uh, when you add up all of the lottery tickets sold overall, hmm. that's about 25 or $30 billion of money going into state revenue, uh, which, again, is about 2% of total state budgets on average across the uh, United States. Uh, now, that money sometimes is very specifically designated to a particular cause. In many states, we have what are called education lotteries, so that money is dedicated to education. In almost all states, a small portion of that money is dedicated to uh, gambling awareness and uh, gambling addiction Hmm. awareness and prevention. Interesting. Is it, uh, you know, is Utah eventually going to have to turn on this? I mean, is is this the way we make money or are you seeing other ways, other states just saying no? Uh, Well, first of all, we haven't seen many states say no. That's true. Uh, Those those dominoes are falling. uh, Utah does have the advantage uh, of, if, if you don't want to have a lottery, it does have the advantage of being somewhat remote. It doesn't have big population centers right next to other mm-hmm. out-of-state population centers. This isn't New York City right next to uh, Connecticut or New Jersey. Um, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, Chicago right next to Indiana or something like this. Um, uh, what you do see is Hawaii and Alaska also don't have lotteries, again, because they're geographically remote. You don't have to worry about people from Hawaii, you know, uh, driving across the border to buy a lottery <laughs> ticket when the jackpots get high. So true. Uh, so so uh, Utah does have that going for them. Uh, obviously, the, the main reason they haven't adopted a lottery, obviously, is because it's a religiously conservative state. Uh, the last other states to, to fall have been places like Wyoming, very, uh, again, conservative states, and uh, Alabama and Mississippi, which now have adopted lotteries, but they were among the last dominoes to fall as well. Are there other negative impacts? I mean, I mean, like I know, for example, there's probably a better margin, um, maybe on a, ba- a bag of chips in a store than than probably on a lotto ticket. I'm assuming. So, if everybody's coming to just buy lotto tickets, does that impact the stores? I mean, versus buying chips, buying other better margins. Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I think most uh, most of the uh, convenience stores are fairly happy to be uh, lottery stores again because you get people in there to buy the lottery yeah. tickets and hopefully they buy the other Something stuff else, there as well. Right. Uh, they do get five cents on every dollar uh, there, so that's not a gigantic margin, but it certainly at least covers their cost yeah. and, and and they'll make a lot of money during those. You know, those big uh, lottery, you know, the lottery frenzy when you've got those hundred or three hundred million, five hundred million dollar jackpots. What is it? What what is it? Do I guess long term? I mean, now what? Do we just start inviting in other types of lottos, just expanding it to get more when the government needs more money? I mean, I guess 
I guess it's just an option, and it, but it just seems like to me we're opening up a can of worms. Maybe yeah, I'm... that really is the issue with gambling: is that uh, that do you want to have? Do you want to maximize your revenue uh, from this? Uh, you can do that by giving many more options for people to, to gamble. Uh, uh, about a half a dozen states have video lottery terminals run mm. by the lottery, and a video lottery terminal is just a fancy way for saying a a slot machine that you can put in a, in a bar, and you see these. Uh, those are, of course, extremely addictive uh, and, again, very much prey upon the, the poorest members of society. Uh, we've had the same thing going on with casinos. Uh, again, uh, it, it's hard for New York and Pennsylvania to hold off you know, installing their own casinos when they see people going to Atlantic City. Uh, but as soon as as soon as casinos are opened up in Pennsylvania and New York, all of a sudden there's not so much reason to go to Atlantic City anymore. Right. And about half of those casinos have shut down in the in the past about two years. And uh, Atlantic City, once kind of a gambling boom town, is much more of a gambling ghost town nowadays. Mm. Such an interesting discussion and and topic. Dr. Victor Matheson, again, economics professor from the College of the Holy Cross. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us uh, your insight and research on that. Uh, it's so it's such an interesting little thing. And maybe it's just, you know, raised in a conservative little world here in Utah. But in the end, I'm also thinking, I don't know, is that the best way I want my kids to to think of how we get money? that we just throw up a silly lotto and uh, give everyone in a one in a hundred million chance or whatever to maybe win. I also wonder if it, it doesn't teach other ideas that, you know, things are just easy and things are free and you can, you can play for the, the big win. I don't know. It, it, it kind of goes against to me, a basic character ethic that you got to work for it. It might be better to hope to, to earn it instead of hope to win it. Uh, it might be more in your control that way. Also, just interesting research on lotto winners. I don't know if you've studied that at all, but they don't seem to be the happiest group of people. You'd think if you won a bunch of money, you'd be really happy. Problem is, maybe uh, you have to actually you know, have the long process of obtaining the money, and it might be better for you because you've earned it. You figured out how to spend it. You figured out how to not make it control your life. But an immediate injection of you know, six hundred and fifty-six million. That might kill you. Anyway, great stuff and uh, interesting topic. Again, the Matt Townsend show. I'd suggest maybe we just find other ways to to get the money instead of just taxing the poor that might be more likely to go buy it, hoping for the big hit. Who knows? This is the Matt Townsend show. We'll take a break when we come back. We're going to go visit the guys at BYU Sports Nation. See what's going on with them. By the way, they've spent the weekend. In Vegas. We'll see how it's impacting them. A little study right here on the Matt Townsend Show. The impact of Vegas on two guys from Brigham Young University. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Back after this break. Welcome back, friends. That's the hoedown music, meaning it's time to go to Vegas and visit our friends from BYU Sports Nation, Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan. How are you guys? Oh, fantastic on a semifinal Monday at the West Coast Conference Championships. Just gearing up for not one, but two BYU games today. Yes. And the Matt Townsend effect clearly manifests itself late Saturday night. 
in the form of Tyler Haas hitting a huge game winner and letting BYU live to play another day in the WCC tournament. <sighs> you know, I'm doing what I can, guys. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to overwhelm everybody, but I do have something up my sleeve for Portland today. Oh, can really? you can you reveal any of this? Nope, I'm going to talk about it tomorrow on my show. <laughs> After it happens. I I don't, I don't want to blow That's it. That's convenient. Yeah. You guys. Well, BYU needs it because they can't blow it. If they lose uh, tonight, bye-bye NCAA tournament. It's NIT if BYU loses tonight, in my opinion. So if, B, if the Cougars win tonight, 25 wins, 23 of which are D1 wins. They get to the WCC title game. For BYU fans, you hope Gonzaga wins because if BYU plays Gonzaga Tuesday night, to me, BYU's in. If Gonzaga is somehow upset today by Pepperdine, BYU would have to win that game mm. and win the tournament for the first time in 14 years, by the way, to the day tomorrow from the last time BYU won a conference tournament title. So big game tonight with Portland. Just win tonight, and then likely you're in the NCAA tournament. Man, it's a lot of pressure on me, you guys. A lot of pressure. <laughs> Luckily, you're not taking any jump shots or having to defend tonight. <laughs> no, Matt not. Towns, in effect, knows no pressure. Oh, please. My day's pressure. Everything's <laughs> pressure. We didn't get to go to Vegas, boys. You guys are working so hard there. Uh, anything you need, any updates, anything that that happened in Vegas that maybe you could just share with us so it doesn't stay there? One thing. There's a brand new observation whatever, Deck. a Ferris wheel. Yeah. In Vegas. It's awesome. Winning that last night, apparently it's like the highest observation deck or something in the world. It was fantastic. I loved it. No, come on. Also, uh, over the past couple of days, there's a place called Angel Park. It has mini golf, but it's real grass. Five <laughs> bucks. That was awesome. Really? Free promotion. It was It was fantastic. So, I've never been there. I'm going to go there every time I'm in Vegas now. Okay, so you're not going to tell me any secrets. Well, off I'm air. Not, I'm not sure there are any. <laughs> no, come on, come on. Tell. This is BYU Radio, come man. Two, they stay in Vegas. Two apparently. BYU boys in Vegas. Come on. Hey, I got one for you. Here's, here's what I got. Okay. Uh, you guys know Kanye West, right? Not personally. Absolutely. You know of him, brother. Brother West. Brother West. Brother Kanye West is. Uh, he's on tour, and they are actually selling bags of his tour air. They're bagging his air from his tour, and there's 90 bids right now on eBay, resulting in about a $60,000 price tag for those airbags. What bags of air? In, in all caps, this is stupid. No, no, it's not. <laughs> this is Kanye West. You don't want his air. <laughs> How, what air? Like, how, what, listen, what qualifies? Listen. What qualifies as tour how close? air? Because in 2005, <laughs> I saw you two, and then some dude named Kanye West opened up for them. Really? Did you get any Gold air? Digger was the uh, popular song at the time. I did capture some air. <laughs> yes, you bagged it, and that reminded me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, exactly. We, I walked, but speaking of Vegas story, I walked behind the wrong. Um, the wrong crowd yesterday. Oh, Here's a story for you, Matt. Did you get some Vegas air? Yeah. A guy, a guy was smoking something, uh-huh. and uh, the following words were the following words were spoken: "Are you smoking weed? <laughs> I'm not smoking weed." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, 
Viva Las that's Vegas. That's what I think. That's what I smell it is. Yep. Viva hey, Las Vegas. Good news, Matt. What? We are bagging BYU Sports Nation Air oh. and we'll be selling it later on eBay. Ain't nobody got time for that. Excellent. Oh, no, it's not us. It's it's our crew. Our crew's bagging it up, no, man. No, they're not. They're inside, busy doing inside actual the broadcast work. truck. Inside the broadcast truck. They no, you don't want that air. <laughs> just so you know, just so you know, because you guys have been gone, We after my show, we go down into your studio. Uh, Studio B, and we we just smell the air, and it's just we just sit is there. That and why just... your show is doing so well now? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We need <laughs> you back here. Next level. Yeah, it's not even it like that. <laughs> Studio's not as um, like the stench. Not stench. That's a bad word. The <laughs> the the odor. The odor. The olor. The this. It doesn't smell as bad. We've cleaned it up for you. Hey, thank you for that. Good air. A little Febreze action? Yeah, a little Febreze action. Febreze. Well, you guys have thank a big day today. Thank goodness for Febreze, man. Hey, when you're done that with we today. Do. Yeah, when you're done with today, go get the Febreze on, and then go hit Angel Park, and then go start bagging me some uh, air on the Vegas Strip. Uh, Vegas Strip. We're going to be in this arena the entire day. There are two uh. games. We're back to uh, being here all day. Because the Gonzaga game, we're probably going to watch that. And then, of course, the BYU game. Yeah. And BYU TV, BYU Radio, uh, involved in the first game, of course. The, the women's, women's game. game uh, coming up at 3 Eastern time. And then uh, the second semifinal for the ladies, also on BYU TV. So it's going to be another fun, busy day. We're here to work, man. I know, We've yeah. clocked in. We've been clocked in since Wednesday. You've been clocked in in Vegas. But not on Sunday. You don't work on Sunday. No, no, no. You went golfing, apparently. <laughs> I didn't what? say when, just the past couple days. Yeah, it was Sunday. It was, yeah, no, no, you were us. golfing. You, were, you weren't. You were just visiting angels at Angel Park. I, I was singing for the beauty of the earth as I played, so I felt <laughs> decent about it. You guys I have an best. advantage over Jeremy. My, my, yeah, my wife lives, her family is in Las Vegas. See, there you so go. It was family time for me. It was family so time. while I went on the Ferris wheel and played golf, Spencer was hanging out with the in-laws. <laughs> I won the day, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sad. You you couldn't have brought him. You couldn't have brought him, Spencer. Jerem could have gone with your family. No, we want. We wanted him to come uh, hang out with us and okay. worship nature. Oh my goodness! Here we go. Starting to fight. That's why we're here, folks, to help oh. you guys work these things out. <laughs> that's we're- just a taste of the hour that is uh, eight minutes from now. You're good. You're good. Okay. Good luck on your show and be safe in Vegas. And don't don't smell their air. I, it'll have weird effects okay. on your life. You're awesome. Uh, yeah, We've been plugging our noses for second, five days. Second handness. That's right. Don't take their second handness. Well, good luck, guys, on the sh- on the game today as well. And uh, you know, stay clean, clean air. Um, this uh, we're taking the show on the road. I just talked to Don the other day. I'm going to start. I'm going to start broadcasting from my from certain locations around the country. For instance, I've got uh, maybe in November, Boston. Boston. We're going to do a little. Uh, I, I've got. I can't. I can't announce them yet because I don't want to so, jinx it. But. What you're talking about is you're going to broadcast from your hotel room, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> now I'm, I'll probably broadcast like by the pool. I mean, I want to get sun while I'm doing the show. But we're. I'm going to Cancun. We'll probably do something from there. We. I mean, we. I'm. I'm using that term loosely. You. My wife and I. The rest of us will be sitting here. Yeah. But I'll Skype you in. Oh, okay. So and I will be bagging air from Cancun. Bagging air. Bringing it in. Now, what what apparently they did at these concerts is they walk in with big Ziploc bags, open it up. Mm-hmm. Zip it. And then zip it closed, and there you have air from the concert. 
Don't, I wouldn't believe that. And then they go sell it on eBay. I'll give you a bag of air. If you're going to buy air in a bag, call me. I can give you, I'll give you, I'll give you air that Elvis had potentially sucked into his lungs. Exhaled Elvis air. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, potentially. That sounds like there's a huge market for this. I mean, if we're going to start selling air, yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) It's sad. By the way, the gambling thing kind of weirds me out. We have a huge nationwide gambling racket run by the government. And only 2% in the, in the end ends up in your local coffers. I mean, maybe a little bit more than that. <sighs> so what you're saying is there's fleecing going on in our country. There's fleecing. I think there will be a day. That's if, astounding. If it keeps going at this rate. I think what we're going to find out is someday there will be like a major organ scam where people are selling organs, human organs, and it'll be subsidized. It'll be like run by the government. <laughs> I don't want to like cast aspersions, but I'm pretty sure that's next. Aspersion has been cast, though. Done. I just find it weird that we're getting people to play a game of just chance. Why don't we just I, I think if we're going to do it, let's not call it the lottery. Let's call it the the uh, national gambling, throw away your money Well, I, I, t- I before the show we were talking about this, and I mentioned that I had read where people honestly look at that as a retirement plan. Yeah. Because I mean, they, they, they... Well, some people are very lucky. Well, after the, the economy crashed a few years ago, and the, and the stock market takes the big hit, and people, if they had any money, it's all gone, so they thought maybe the lottery would be a better sh- a better chance for them. You're, you're playing with chances anyways with the yeah, stock it's market. Be, so oh, like, yeah. They they figured there'd be better odds if they just go down and buy a scratch ticket at the gas station. Well, yeah, they're not. There aren't better odds. I think how many guys won that last lotto? Five hundred million. One, two, maybe. Yeah, a lot of times they're shared, or you hear about an office that goes goes in on a ticket, and everyone fights over it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's not a uh, it's not a good way to build up revenue for your city or state. No. You know, Oregon. Just selling organs. Just steal them. Is that the way to do sell it? Sell them. Just black market? I just think it's, you know, it's just what the mafia does. We just start a game of chance, teach everyone that, hey, maybe we'll have money for our kids if, if we're lucky. Just raise a lot of money. Get a few people addicted, especially to the scratch-off ones, as he was talking about. The scratch-off are the ones that really are hitting the poor. You know, trying to win a little here, win a little there. But it's also interesting when the Powerball hits, if you've got money, yeah, let's throw a little bit more on the tax. We just ought to call it the Powerball tax. If everyone knew they were paying a tax. But again, this is how this kind of works is we build a system and then nobody ever follows up on the system. And you might see a story on Nightline or somewhere once every, you know, three or four years about the lottery and how it's not really necessarily doing all it's supposed to do. Ten, 10% is paid in fees. Seriously, 10% of $65 billion has to go to just the administration of it. Hmm. Weird. Anyway, I'm glad I live in a state that doesn't do it. Then I can teach my kids there's a better way to make money than hoping you win it someday. That's the show, my friends. Thanks for joining us. We had a great uh, bunch of lessons today. We, we learned quite a few things 
had Joe Cannon on, learned all about uh, the fact that uh, a few of our senators have never actually used the, used email. Allegedly. Allegedly. We also learned that uh, you got to work on your thinking, don't you? If you want to really change a habit, you got to work on your thinking. It doesn't get uh, changed without a change of thought. We're back tomorrow. More ideas, more insights to help you find the good in life. Again, you've got what you got today. Take it, go out, and make it a great day. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Out.